Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 172, Flawless Victory Fatality. My name is Matthew Turner alongside Brian McCluskey and Anthony Fitzpatrick. How are you doing, boys? I'm all good. What's the... I don't know if I know the reference for the tale. Do you know the reference, Ant? No. It's Mortal Kombat. It's when you defeat an opponent and they don't hit you once. Could, could there not have been like a bear joke in there about being on a bear or something? Or, do, you know, do you want to put in a bear does, joke does, on there? Does, does, you know. The bear necessities, the simple bear necessities, that's all we did. <laughs> See, you didn't like that anymore, did you? Does it, does, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to work on these in the off-season. Oh, man. You Next say work on it, but... Like in advance of the thing, we'll vote on them. <laughs> I'll have to try and remember to send it your way soon. Oh, right. Yeah. This is the Bears at Lions review show, January 2nd, 2023. I can't believe that we're into the new year already. It doesn't feel real. We're going to go through the news. We're going to go through the game, and then we're going to go into a bit of a chat. Don't forget our Discord channel. Please do join us there. It's a terrific place great Lions community and especially coming up to draft time the knowledge we have internally is really really good so do come and be a part of that community I'll put a link in the live chat of YouTube and Twitch on either place I think YouTube especially the live chat is visible if you um go and look at it after the event so if you're an audio listener you can still go on to YouTube to have a look at the live chat to find that link so I'm popping that in right now uh, please don't forget to like the show, sub to the podcast, rate and review and all that good stuff. It really helps us out, you know, with the YouTube algorithm and all that jazz. So please do. And Ryan, college football podcast. Obviously, we just had the national championship semifinals. What did you make of it? And are you going to be talking the about best, anything else? Or is that going to be the main focus? In the whole history of nine years. Yeah. They were phenomenal. Usually you get one bad one, one good one. They were they were everything you want, and they're everything that I don't want expanded. I everyone knows I'm against the expanded playoff, and this is why. But yeah, four teams, all perfectly evenly matched. Yeah, I'm starting a petition to ban Clemson, LSU, and Alabama from the playoffs in future because it is better without them. Um, yeah, two two amazing games. No, no, where we'll start with them, but two results I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, yeah, the right teams won in both games, just about. So it's going to be a fascinating final. I don't even know at this point what's going to happen, but yeah, it'll be great. It's going to, it's going to be hard for the final to top the semis. Talking on Wednesday about that, boys? Yeah, Wednesday. And then we've got our final end-of-season mock drafts coming up as well. We're going to see how they compare to our half-season ones. We do one at the half-season, we do one at the end-of-season. And the Lions... At half season, it's it's drastically changed, <laughs> very drastically changed since we were. I think we were like one and two and six when we did the last ones, and now obviously we're not going to like some of my picks. 
No, no, I don't think they're going to like either of us. You know, focus is changing heavily here. So going to be that. I'm probably going to look at the senior ball, shrine ball, start looking at stuff like that. So, yeah, come join us. There'll be, there'll be a lot on the show this week, as per. I think Brian Shook in the YouTube chat has managed to offend all of us. And I'll read out why. And this is one for if you're watching on YouTube. So apologies for a moment if you're on the audio show. Brian's just said, name a more iconic British trio. Gervais, Merchant, and Pilkington of Lions Podcasting. I don't you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Carl Pilkington. You know, just because he's bald, that's a lazy comparison. Get clever with it. You know, I will appreciate someone who puts some effort into it rather than using Carl Pilkington all the time. But I don't know still which one I am. I appreciate I, them. I, 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 I appreciate Ryan Michael Michael the beard. Person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no way. Ryan should be called Pilkington because he moans the most. Right, yeah, Ryan's Carl, I'm going to assume. I'm Ricky because I'm the funny one. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Matt's whoever's left. Yeah, I've oh, got to be Ricky Gervais, apparently. I, yeah. I, I tend to the compliment. I love him. <laughs> um, please don't forget to download the app at Lions Nation Unite. That's Herman Moore's project to bring the best in Lions content creators together. We're there. Dosa Dion, Micro Mike, Lions on the Prowl, lots of others. Really good stuff all in one place. Go and download lionsnationunite.com. We're a Twitch affiliate. That means that if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you get a free Twitch Prime sub every month. It gives about $2.50 if you do use that with us or with any other content creator. So if you're not using it already, please do head over to twitch.tv and, and give it to someone. It makes such a massive difference to content creators all over, and it really does go towards the, the working cost of the pod. So I appreciate you to do that. We also have a feedback form and a tip jar in the description of youtube if so if you're watching on youtube that is in the links below if you've got any comments about how to improve the show especially as we're coming to the end of the season now we want to make it the best thing that we can anything simple or anything like that we've had comments about the audio pod intro which we are working to change and that will probably happen in the off season other little bits and pieces any comments please do get that in there let's go on with the news and it came out a few days ago that the oh just before the game actually about 20 minutes before kickoff yesterday that the NFLPA is filing a grievance on behalf of Detroit against the NFL and the Carolina Panthers regarding the state of the field in Carolina for the Detroit game and lads the comments after that game were not kind about that field and I know both teams had to play on it it's not like it was you know of benefit to Carolina for the field being awful but these fields risk serious injury at times. You've got to imagine that people in the places that have cold weather games need to work extra hard to make them safe for the players to play on. It's bad enough when they're running at 20 miles an hour at each other, never mind having to land on the ground when it feels like concrete. It's insane. For me, this is a weird one because <clears throat> someone listed, I think, nine turfs that they say aren't fit for purpose, and the Lions was listed a one. But I say there were no significant injuries, but this feels like the NFLPA just picking someone and, like, say, filing a grievance when in reality they should be trying to get everyone to change. Like I say, I understand that in certain conditions you can't have natural grass, you've got to go with synthetic, but this stuff, it's like that Asheville turf in a British playground that's like sand that will rip up your knees and leads to significant injuries. So it's good to see them finally taking a stand. And this is potentially a warning that anyone else of unsuitable surfaces, they're going to come for you. 
And eventually, I reckon within a year or two, the NFL is going to pass a rule where certain stadiums, they'll come in, they'll test it. You'll rip it up, you'll replace it. Like, they won't give you a choice. Because, let's say, in the last how many years, how many ACLs have we seen done by injuries? Like, it's going through the roof, isn't it? Like I say, and people are saying it's because of poor services. And I agree, both teams played on it. There were no real significant injuries, but the fact that everyone said it was just too firm and they were wary of it before kickoff is alarming. And it, it is just indicative right now of teams and programs cost cutting and trying to get the cheapest surfaces they can that need the least maintenance, but offer the littlest resistance and bounce. And the players, unfortunately, are the ones that are suffering it. If you're one of those people in the comments as well that's saying, oh, the Lions are soft. Dan Campbell said he'll play anywhere. We didn't file it, you fucking morons. The NFLPA did. So take your shit there and go hunt them down. They said, stop throwing shit out of it. The NFLPA represents players, safety, injury, contract details. They're a governing body that literally look after people. And like I said, it's not us. It's them doing it on our behalf because we've reported it to them. So they're just doing their job. Like I say, so just, just keep us out of it. But hopefully we're going to start to see change and stricter rules on services. I, I can't really top that. <laughs> what the hell can I say now that makes any difference to that? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, nowhere does it say the Lions feel like they suffered a disadvantage. Like, if you think that that is what's being said, it's not what's being said. It's just about player safety. And what I don't understand about the whole cost-cutting idea of this turf is it's like you're perfectly willing to pay a quarterback $35 million a year, but you won't change to proper turf, which will cost you, what, maybe a couple of million a year? Like, come on, guys. I mean, I know if you're the Raiders and you're cash poor and can't afford to fire your head coach, then maybe the turf cost might be an issue. But for every other owner in the league, these are some of the richest people in the world. And they're shelling out for major assets. Like, who do you think is going to pay out when they get injured? You're going to have to replace them with another player. That's more money out of your pocket. Just invest in player safety. It's not hard. And the helmets are changing now because of concussion and all that stuff, only because the players force them to, mind you. But player safety is going in one direction only. And get with the times. Get ahead of it. Why not be the one place in the league where everyone says it feels amazing to play there underfoot and it's cushioned and soft, but, you know, the, it, it feels really like a really good football field to play on? Then why would you not become a destination to play at? I mean, I know it's a minor difference, but if you are getting an equal offer from two different places and you know by reputation it feels like fucking concrete in one place and in another place it's nice to play there, where are you going to go? It's not hard. I won't mind, but Vegas and LA, they, their stadiums are literally younger than Hank, who's sat in my lap. Hank is nearly three. And like I said, their stadiums are less than two years old and they've got bad surfaces or they don't have actual proper playing surfaces. Like I said, and they've shelled out on the Death Star and the, the SoFi home still away stadium because there's no fans, but there's just no excuse for these brand new stadiums to have subpar surfaces and then on the flip side Washington where the railings are killing people there's leaks that piss on people's heads because they sit under leaky stuff like it's opposite end of the scale like I said one some stadiums need knocking down and some are that high tech that they overlooked a little stuff so it's going to change eventually within a year or two someone is going to 
someone is going to lose a leg. You know, like he's going to have to take something, you know, like who was the tight end that almost lost his knee? Like he's going to have to take a serious injury like that to blame the field, to make a change. And unfortunately, that's just the times we're living in where it's it's just reactive and not proactive. And yeah, the NFLPA is just waiting for someone to really, really hurt themselves and never play again before they make a change. But no, I hope that this speeds it up. And I, and I guess the collective bargaining agreement's not long been done either, so they can't exactly hold them to ransom in that either. You thought they might have had a go at that if it put it in there. That'd be the best time for them to do it. Other bit of news that we have is the tackle on the practice squad. Obina Eze was featured heavily in Hard Knocks in his relationship with and Hutchinson and, and, you know, his roots from, from Nigeria and what have you, he's been placed on injured reserve. Wasn't revealed, I don't think, whether that was season-ending injured reserve, as in there's some sort of theoretical universe where if we get to the conference championship, maybe he can come back. But I think we're dreaming there. So probably ends his season, I think it's safe to say. And it did explain the fact that we signed Jared Williams to the practice squad, the tackle that we were talking about in our last show. It's a shame for Eze, and I know that you were a big fan of his during the, um, not the draft process, but when we picked him up for the practice squad, you were um, off UDFA, that you were h- h- not high on him, but you, you were high on his upside. Yeah, it's a shame for him because it's not quite worked out this year. And and to be fair, we've not really needed much in the way of tackle call-ups or anything. Decker and Sewell have both been relatively healthy. So, I mean, I just trust the process with these guys. It took Logan three years to make the team before he made an impression. If a burner's doing the right things, they'll keep him around. And eventually, sooner rather than later, he'll come in and... uh, perform for the team but yeah it's, it's a tough first year but when you're an undrafted free agent pretty much all of them will go through this phase so you'll you'll see over the if he's still here at practice time next year if he's still on the team they're still keeping him around then there's a reason they're doing it you've seen with this staff they don't mind taking the long-term approach with them they don't mind making them wait until they're ready and, and you see it benefiting the uh you see it benefit the team in the long run you've seen it with well, well, one James Houston, who we're going to talk about a lot today, they they waited with him, and and look how good they did. They seem to have a knack of finding the right time to introduce players into the team. So, all the best for Eze. Hopefully, he gets another shot next year, and we'll uh, we'll see him a little bit more then. Right. Oh, sorry, Ryan. No. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be back. They keep guys like Kennedy and Skipper and Reynolds back, like say who had multiple years in the practice squad. So. I'd be very surprised if they decided to part ways on any settlement. But yeah, rough pre-season, but those were rookie team issues. So yeah, hopefully, let's say, look at Stenberg. It's taken him three years to make any sort of impact. So we're, we're a team that does actually give you time to make an impact if it's in you there. So if he's got it, Hank Fraley will find it. Mike Florio has just said he expects Lions Packers to be Sunday night football. That's not any sort of official announcement about it. That's just his feeling on it as to what it's going to be. So yeah, cool end oh. to the season that would Sunday night football. I don't, I don't even care whether the Seahawks have played. Then I just want to play spoiler to the Packers. If you can beat them in Sunday night football last game of the year, what a fucking setup for next year that is. Just big middle finger in the face to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> right. 
we'll go into the game review now. So Bears at Lions finished 41 to 10 in favor of the Lions. Elevations for this game, safety Brady Breeze and the tackle Jared Williams. Inactives for the game, offensive lineman Coyote Arashika and Ross Pierschbacker. The running back Justin Jackson, defensive lineman Michael Brockers and Austin Bryant and safety Deshaun Elliott. In this game, Justin Fields was limited to seven completions on 21 attempts. Yeah, that's 33% people. 75 yards, a touchdown and a pick, and had seven sacks against him for 45 yards. On the ground, though, he was pretty damn good, as he always is. 10 carries for 132 yards. Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery also chipped in for 11 for 55 between them. And Vallis Jones also had a jet sweep, one for 13 for him. In the receiving game, obviously, as I say, they didn't do much, but there was still time for Cole Komet to go two for three for 27 and a touchdown. Offensively for the Lions, Goff was at his imperious best, 21 of 29 for 255 and three touchdowns. And on the ground, the Lions went for a record amount of rushing yards in Ford Field, 265 yards on 39 carries, and actually three of those are kneel downs by Nate Sudfeld. So take them out. It's 36 for 268 on pure rushing attempts. Jamal Williams led the way, 22 for 144 on a touchdown, and Swift, 11 for 78 with a tutty. Jameson Williams also had a, a an end around. End around was a reverse, beg your pardon. And that was a carry for 40 yards on its own. So that was very tasty. Uh, despite Goff throwing for 255, none of the Lions players got above 62 yards. Simon Ra went 4 of 5 for 62. DJ Chark, 2 of 4 for 56. Khalif Raymond, perfect 3 for 3 for 40. DeAndre Swift, 4 for 4 for 39 and a touchdown. And Brock Wright came up big when it mattered most. 3 on 4 for 13 yards and two touchdowns. Defensively, it was a really good day for the Lions. Aiden Hutchinson recovered a fumble from Justin Fields, which was forced by James Houston. Otherwise, there were seven sacks. Houston, alongside that strip sack, also got two further sacks, so three total for him, two for Josh Pascal, one for Kaminsky, and ESPN have a, a sack shared between Melifonwu and Hutchinson. I think that PFF have it credited solely to Melifonwu. Uh, and there was also an interception by Aiden Hutchinson, too, for five yards. His third of the year now, which is exceptional stuff. Boys, from a high level, Chicago got off to a hot start. They they scored on their first possession of the game. But from that moment onwards, the Lions were just utterly dominant. What what did you think of the game? Men versus boys. That, yeah. that, that, is, that, is, that is the thing. Men versus boys. <laughs> we had a bad first drive, and then... We did exactly what we needed to do, which was kick their ass into next season. And we did. We dominated. Their trench guys couldn't deal with us. They were going out injured all the time, just couldn't deal with the physicality, couldn't deal with the tempo, couldn't deal with the pressure. And we absolutely destroyed them in every single facet of the game. And that is exactly what we needed to do. Um, this Lions team needed to show that he could do it when it's favourite. When it's playing against a bad team, needs to show it can dominate. And it did nothing but dominate after... After, after the first bit of that game. We broke them. Jared, J Justin Fields, I just continue to feel sorry for the kid, like you say. He showed how dynamic he can be. But when Tevin Jenkins and Cody Whitehair left the game, it was game over. After one quarter, we literally have shown how fragile that team is. Like you say, he took hits after that. He started limping. He was getting fizzy on the sideline, having a massage because he was just having all sorts of ailments. And 
Yeah, it couldn't get anything going. Um, that their, their third and fourth string offensive line just got battered. Like I say, if it weren't Pascal, it was Hutch. If it weren't Hutch, it was Kaminsky. If it weren't Kaminsky, it was Houston. And it was just never-ending, relentless pressure. And their running game was just not an outlet. And Komet offers a little bit of out uh, relief, but not much if, if Justin has no time. So I think it's safe to say that this game defined where two programmes are. One team, like I said, the Bears believe they've got their QB, but there's just no one to protect him. So to it, like I said, they have to invest again and spend lots of money on picks on that O-line because we just destroyed it. And on defence as well, uh, granted that defence is just full of rookies like us, like two rookie corners, rookie safety, like Jack Sanborn, the best linebacker's missing. So yeah, they, they've been plagued of injuries. And yeah, eventually the white flag was thrown. They just gave in because they just cut hang of us and we just never let up. We just applied more pressure, more yards, more points. And it was a very respectful job. Like I say, we 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 whooped their ass, like I say, we never gave up, we never let off. And in the end, one of the most professional performances of the season. I mean, I think it was telling that Tevin Jenkins lasted seven snaps and then went out injured. And I have to admit, watching live, I didn't even realise that he had gone off. I don't know whether how I'd missed that, but you could really tell because they were under such pressure for the entirety of the game. He was running for his life. And, you know, it was... I know we said high level, but it was striking to me how Fields ran for as much as he did. You know, over a 100-yard game for a quarterback is nothing to sniff at. And yet... It really felt like he was under pressure all the time, that he wasn't able to rush for the yards that he needed to, that Hutchinson seemed to be in his face all day, that they'd really done a good job. And I'll come on later on to one of the reasons why I think that happened and a really good adjustment from game one of this series where Fields, we still kind of kept him in check more than we thought, but he still went for like an NFL record number of rushing yards by a quarterback. So we we made some adjustments and it was really good to see compared to to what was in the past. Let me go into some of the key plays of the game, uh, the play-by-play. So, Lions stopped the Bears for three and out early in that first drive, but a Jerry Holding call gives the Bears a first down. They progress down the field. Fields is under pressure, but he seems to make things happen. And then, on third and one, an excellent play design by the Bears. Tight end comes in, looks like he's going to do a sneak, and we've seen this happen quite a lot by lots of different teams this year especially fakes the tight end sneak tosses it out to justin fields and because the running back can get out in front of him it almost works like the sort of traditional eye formation set where you've got fields being a running back and then you're running back becoming your fullback so you get the blocking out in front and he went for i don't know must have been about 30 35 or so and then on third and two later on on the drive Throw to Cole Komet for a touchdown. Miscommunication. I think it was probably Will Harris that failed to pass someone off effectively, or he tried to pass someone off and it didn't actually happen. PAT was good. And seventh there. <laughs> there he is. And succumbed to the pressure. He is wearing the celebration outfit. Seven to nothing early to Chicago. And I have, I did feel like no matter how many third downs they had in that drive, they seemed to have the answer. And even though I was confident before the game, I started to fear the worst after that because I was like, God, if they're going to do this, how are we going to stop them? Boys, did you have any sort of fear at all early on? The first drive was alarming. 
like I say, but also they've scored on 11 opening drives to open the season. So we knew Bears statistically were the best team on opening drives in the league. But yeah, it, it was a well-constructed first drive when everyone was healthy. Like I say, that play with Fields, where it was like six yards back, I knew something was up because he was so far away from the line of scrimmage. So I thought, it's, it's got to be a wild cat, which I first thought, and then I saw a tight end come in, I thought, oh, it's a sneak. But to pitch it like that, I suppose, to me, it looked fishy, So, but they got caught out. And it was well blocked as well. So it was frustrating, but yeah, we got caught out with a well-designed player there. And then, yeah, weird one, Will Harris, because he passes him off, but there was no one there. There was no one to pick him up. That's the weird thing, because the corner had a receiver. And he was blocking him into the end zone, so there was no one for him to give him up. So, yeah, uh, I'll wash my hands of Will. I like the kid, but that was his last time playing at Ford Field, I'll assure you that. But yeah, annoying first drive. But we've seen, I wasn't worried because also we're the best team at point scoring in the first quarter against the team that's the best on the offensive drive. So, yeah, like I said, it was annoying, but I expected them to start quickly because that's what they did in the first game. I said they started really well, and Justin Fields, when he's got a full tank and a full head of steam, can be very dynamic. And that first quarter, he just knifed us. And that's why I really like the kid. Like I say, he just offers something different. He's far from the finished product. There's a lot to work on, but everyone always shitting on him. Like you say, it's, it, it's a little bit premature to anyone write him off, but yeah, he's a... It, I was a little worried because I thought after Carolina, like they destroyed us on their first drive. I was like, oh no, not having this again. But no, yeah. they let them have one and that were it. Yeah, we always seem to take a little bit of time to adjust to Chicago, but it's just the way they play football. They can throw you a load of different looks. They're very dangerous when running the ball. And sometimes it just, you need an, an, acclim- an acclimatization period with them. And that first drive was kind of it. I think after that, you know, things really sort of changed around. When 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 they got the first sack, I think that was when everything changed. And uh, you know, Hurtfield's early kept hitting him. So what you got to do? Stop him running. You got to knock him about a bit. And yeah, I, I wasn't particularly worried. It, it depended on what the Lions did on the first drive. If we'd have kind of like messed up and and not done well, then I'd have been a bit more worried. But no, it was. It was just sort of a hangover from last week. The important thing was they learned from it. So that that's all I care about, really. They had one good drive, and that was it all game. So, man, I'll, I'll take that against the Bears. Lions' subsequent possession, really nice throw on third and four to Amon Rasson. Brown, you saw him streaking over right to left in the middle of the field. Perfectly in stride, perfectly on time by Jared Goff, all the way down to the Chicago 41 really early in that drive. Holding on Frank, unfortunately wipes out a second and 10, first down run by Williams. So that brings it back to second and 20. A deep slant by Raymond, gets back 16 of it, third and four. Chuck can't catch the ball, unfortunately. We go for it on fourth down because it's just a little bit too long for the field goal kicker. Um, it would have been a 52-yarder, boys. Uh, I'll, I'll come to you in a second. I'll just say this. A 52-yarder, and Bashley has hit it from that distance, and it is in a dome. So I think the idea of going for it or not there is interesting. Fourth and four, they go for it. 
Goff chucks it up to Chark. So well protected, plenty of time, but no one free. Chark double covered in the end zone, but Goff chucks it up to him anyway, a little bit short. And both men have hands on him. An obvious DPI, not called by the back judge, but then one of the sideline judges comes in to to throw the flag. I, I couldn't believe the back judge couldn't see what was happening there, but there we go. Anyway, that brings up first and goal at the one. Williams gets stuffed for a TFL, second and two from the two. Zilstra in motion to the line. So, yeah, lines up Zilstra as the wide receiver on the right-hand side. Motion's in to end up on the line, and he's still in motion when the snap comes. He blocks down hard, and Brock Wright, the tight end in that formation originally, comes out into the flat. He's got about a yard of separation. Goff finds that little bit of space. Nice catch by Brock. PAT is good. Seven all-tie ball game. Really nice response from the Lions, boys. Interesting decision on whether to go for it. And then the touchdown drive, uh, the drive itself was just a bit of a, a Lions masterpiece and what we've been doing all year, really. There's uh, fans. They just, they had to give themselves an out out of this game, didn't they? I don't know, it's pass interference. If you post that video online, a Pornhub would snap it up and put it in their three-way section. There was that much hands involved with it all. That, that was how much they did to him. And then they're like, oh, he flopped, he flopped. No, the only thing that flopped was the Bears' hard-ons after that first drive because they realised that we were going to punch them back and we were well in this game. There was no flop. You can't put your hands like that over someone in the league. And how many times every week do you see underthrown passes where the wide receiver is the only one can see it, stops, comes back on the ball, the DB gets penalised for it. It's a foul anywhere on the field, you know, Argue with the rules if you don't like it, but that's the way it is. It's pass interference, and you know what? Screw them. They just want to try and give themselves an out. Oh, the refs didn't like us. No, no, you're just bad football team bears. Um, but I was, I was, I was kind of delighted for us to see the tight end thing at the end. So I'm like, well, if you're going to do that to us bears, we'll do it to you as well. We seem to have got this down to a T at the minute, where we've got really good receivers on the field. And everyone forgets that we've got tight ends because they think, oh, TJ's not there. They've got nothing tight end-wise, but actually we do. We've got very good red zone tight ends at this moment in time. And it's just the offense that Ben Johnson creates. I think we're going to run the ball. think we're going to send it to Amon Ra. No, tight ends just wheeled his way out to the outside, gets in. It was a lovely play call, and it, it was the response we needed. You know, if, if you would not have scored on there, if you'd been like 7-0 down, they got the ball back, they start running the ball a bit more, it could be an entirely different game. So your response is critical, and our response was was just perfect. So, yeah, great drive. Great response from the Lions. I wasn't surprised they went for it. I was surprised when he threw the ball, but then obviously he's probably thought and looked at that whole secondary, basically rookies and second stringers very naive inexperienced both of them couldn't handle a physicality check I think if it was on time to throw they probably don't interfere with him but the fact he was so underthrown and they've got to claw him back from coming back to get it to get the penalty but I couldn't believe that it was almost not given like I said I was holding my side breath like it's got to be defensive passing pass wasn't I said so they're literally both dragging him down and when he didn't give it I was like all right, okay, we're not getting this. So it was very late, but yeah. And then, yeah, we're now we're running a tight end room by committee. Like I say, we'll have a Shane and Brock happy to do the dirty work, take turns being the threat in the red zone. And yeah, simple, like a little side arm ball out and then turns up field in at the pylon. And yeah, quick response. Like I say, we shook off that first drive. 
and then from then, like we say, we turned it up a gear. I'll die on this hill, and maybe we'll discuss it a bit later. Brock Wright is a better tight end than TJ Hawkinson for the Detroit Lions. Maybe we'll discuss that a bit later on. I'll cut, I will back to that statement. But Why I do we have to make everything a conflict of who's better? Well, can't we just say they're both good players? But they are Instead both of good arguing players. But then it's like, oh, he's better than him. Can't we just enjoy good players? Oh, of course we can. But if we're going to talk about the merits of the trade and whether it was worth it to trade him out, if we're saying... If I can say I think we upgraded in terms of the production we're getting from the player and we got picks back in return, then I think it's a good trade. Then I think it's not an unreasonable statement to make. I get what you're saying. I don't want to make a, oh, he's better than him sort of thing. I don't mean to to frame it that way. And we didn't get picks back in return, technically. We upgraded the picks that we had. Anyway, let's move it on. So 7-7 seven seven ball game. Uh, great play by Hutch, not biting on a field's fake toss. So fake toss to the left-hand side, then a naked bootleg out to the right. Hutch is right in his face, forces fields to try and escape straight into the arms of John Kaminsky. Ends up being a third and four after that, and a huge 60-yard run by Justin Fields. Just has to beat one man who I think was Alex Anzalone, and we've seen Fields do that to him before this season. And he, when it comes to that sort of thing, Anzalone, that, that's not what he does best. So it's unfortunate for him. Kirby and Will do a great job bringing him down at the Detroit nine-yard line because by the time they're really getting going, Fields is past them, like maybe by a yard or so, but they are really having to chase hard to bring him down, and Fields has got gas. So the fact that they got there at all, saved points for the Lions so the Lions stopped them at the nine first and goal and then a third and goal from the two fields um motions to throw there's no one available he runs out to the left hand side Aiden who's tracking a man then has to reverse course to pursue and he does it really well very very similar play the last time the Bears played the Lions where Aiden was unable to make that adjustment and Fields just walked in for the touchdown this time he forces Fields all the way out to the boundary and he walks out of bounds for a two-yard loss Melifonru was also there that's the sack that they split because he walked out of bounds for for a voluntary loss so it gets credited as a sack for the person nearest the guy who who forced him out Uh, and they take a field goal so it could have been fourth and four they could have gone for it they decided to take the three points and go up 10 to 7 that Fields rush, lads. It it felt like a dagger to my heart. We already had the the third and one toss play to him. Then he did that first quarter. I think he's over a hundred yards already rushing at this point. It it felt like he could go for three hundred on its own. Like you've got to try and stop him somehow, and you can't just leave it to Alex Anzalone saying, "Yeah, you you take him down." Like it's almost not fair. Sometimes you have to. That's that. That's the advantage they have when you have him in the team. He's kind of like that ace in the pocket type thing. You, you've got to commit your guys elsewhere. Sometimes you can't just sort of spy him all the time because then it leaves you vulnerable in other places of the field. He just he made a couple of good plays on the day, you know. And everyone said that that's always going to break the record and everything. But again, in hindsight, now you see everything how it happened. The Lions learn. You know, there were a couple of big runs they gave up, and, and that was it. He literally did nothing for the rest of the day at all. So, you know, it's it looks nice for his highlight reel and that, but this is this is the story of Justin Fields so far. He he has a highlight reel, but 
he has no substance to it, nothing to back it up, no massive wins, no postseason success so far. And I know he's on a rubbish team, but, you know, it, meh, it's just a few plays in a game. I'm not too concerned about it. The Lions were. If they'd have done it all game, I'd have been more concerned about it, but, but he didn't. I mean, in the first game, I'm pretty sure we elevated Jared Davis for his only game to literally be that spy, and it didn't work. Let's say he, he still struggled. So this time we just thought, do you know what? They didn't get allocate anyone. Let's say we're not going to put someone on it to mirror him and track him down. We're just going to trust our guys to keep their discipline, help seal the edge. And a player of his caliber, his size, his speed, he's going to break off runs. Like I say he's just built like that. He is an elite runner. So yeah, he got one. For me, when they got to like, what is it, fourth and four? You see a team that just lacks confidence and a coaching staff that lacks confidence. Dan Campbell, don't even have to think about it. Like I said, he just makes these decisions. He just thinks, I'm going to go for it. That's it. And they decided to take the points because they were they were not confident. Like I said, they, they were not convinced that they had the personnel or anyone fit enough or a, a good enough player to get those points. So they took a field goal. And in the end, they settled. After such a big play and all that gas and energy exerted from Justin, it felt like that was them saying, like, we we don't trust ourselves. So, for me, I saw red flags in them straight away there. And that was a great hold. Like I said, a defence that was gassed after one chase play holds up really well. And like I said, the, the word of the day was, like I said, was discipline. People not overcommitting, not allowing Justin to have his way with people. He was running into guys all day and they were wrapping him up, scruff at neck, yanking him down by his head. He took an old-fashioned beating, like I say, and the defence really deserved credit for that. They, they really watched what he did to them the first game and they stopped it happening this time. So going in there, 10-7 to 7, Chicago lead, and it was the last time that they did. Lions come in now on offense, and Goff with a really nice long throw to DJ Chark. This is the Chark that I've believed in and wanted to see all season. You saw the chemistry that he had with Goff in the preseason. You've seen a little bit of what he can do in the last few games, but this play in particular highlights just what we have in him. Uh, deep, skinny route from the left-hand sideline, goes about 20 yards and then finds a gap in between the 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 linebacker and the safeties, finds a hole in the zone and just sits, Goff finds him with timing. I don't think there's anyone within five yards of him. It's an unbelievable play that no one kind of picks him up at all. Um, then ends up with a toss to DeAndre Swift from 17 yards out. He, unlike some toss plays I've seen in the NFL this year, where they kind of toss it backwards directly, like, what does that even do? Swift is already moving by the time Goff has his hands on the ball. By the time he catches it, he's already wheeling out under a head of steam. This is what you need to see from toss plays. And when you get the men out in front like we did, he wasn't touched. 17 yards and he wasn't even touched. He didn't have to do much. He only beat one guy. And I think it was uh, Brisker, the guy who had the chance to beat him, but just a little sidestep and he was in. It was one of the easier touchdowns I've seen, but this is one thing that teams so often get wrong with toss plays where uh, players take it statically or they're not taking it wide enough. And then it just gives defenders a really good idea of where it is because they can see the ball 
the ball is tossed low and hard and swift taking it at 100%. PAT is good, 14-10 Lions lead. And it feels like the momentum is really starting to shift in the Lions' direction, boys. Yeah, they, they couldn't deal with us. I mean, that toss play itself, just the blocking was great. Every single player won their one-on-one battle with that. And Swift, he had to do a little juke to get in there. But in the grand scheme of things, he had to do no work whatsoever to get that touchdown. And and that's kind of what you want, really, isn't it? So, again, it was just Goff was slinging the ball well. We were running the ball hard. It was that That's what our offense can do when both sides of the ball come together and play as one. It's just it's impossible to defend against, and, and, they, and they couldn't. But I like the – well, I say I like the play choice. I'd be lying if I said that because, you know, I don't really like those sort of plays. But when all was said and done, it was the correct play to use rather than trying to run it up the court. Get them out wide. Get them mismatched against our big guys on the outside, blocking, and they, they didn't stand a chance. Yeah, by now the Bears are already reeling. They've already lost at least two on the offensive line. Guys are getting bulldozed, they're getting run over. They're just picking up niggles. And yeah, Swift, no one was in coughing distance. Brisker throws out an arm or a hand, but he didn't really even try. Wasn't going to get close. And the guys in front of him sustained blocks. it It was so easy. Just cantered into the end zone. And I feel like I knew we were going to win. I thought I already knew we were going to win this game because I just saw total effort. I just saw a, a tank that was rapidly emptying for the Bears. On the ensuing uh, Bears possession, they get to a second and two. Velas Jones on a jet sweep converts for about 15 or so, which is one of their nicer plays of the game. Uh, later on, Komet has a catch, which is overturned by the officials before Campbell challenged it. He threw the red flag, but they'd already reversed their decision. That was second and 10, becomes third and 10 as a result, and Fields overthrows Pringle deep. They punt to the Detroit 11, uh, sorry, 13. Goff then on the subsequent possession on third and 10, rollout, check down to Shane Zilstra. Slips, unfortunately. He's got field in front of him. He's going to make the conversion. Slips and only makes a seven-yard gain. That makes it fourth and three. So the Lions have to punt. And an absolute beauty by Jack Fox. Punting from his own 20 or so. And he actually kind of catches the ball at his own four. And the ball's caught at the Chicago 20. Absolute bomb. Returned by ten uh, for 10 yards by uh, Pettis. Chicago then on their next possession. And Fields starts to suffer. Excellent sack by Josh Pascal. Fields sees Hutch destroy Braxton Jones on the right-hand side of that offensive line for Chicago, left as you see it for Hutchinson. He just lays into him and drives him back right into Fields, and Fields panics, tries to roll out to his left-hand side, right into the arms of Josh Pascal. It was a really impressive play by both the Lions uh, players there. Uh, Second and 22, that makes it, and kill Harry... Gets back 16 yards, third and six, and another sack. Houston this time doesn't even touch Fields. But what he does do is he pushes his left tackle straight into Fields, who collapses in a heap. I'm not even sure he was down, boys, but <laughs> it was an incredible play by Houston because we know his pass rush ability. We know he's got bends. We know he can beat people. But that time, that was pure physicality against the Chicago Bears offensive lineman. It was excellent to see. That made it fourth down, and they punted. 
what a defensive stretch that was for the Lions. Two drives in a row. After giving up points on their first two drives, they come back with those two, including those sacks in in that latest drive. Pa- Pascal's sack was the play of the game because that's where everything changed for the Lions' defence. I think, one, they had belief that they could finally get to him and get him down, and two, it put doubt in Justin Fields' head that he was going to just be able to have his way the entire game because after that, he just looked so uncertain. He made really bad mistakes. He was holding on to the ball too long. He didn't know where he was half the time. And you have to credit that to Pascal. Um, so that was the complete changing point for the defense. And they never looked back after that. They just went to town on him all day. And then Houston, I mean, what, what a revelation he's been. And like you said, the, he had the ball rushed. This is why me and Ryan loved it so much when we drafted him. Because you could even see, even though he played at the HBCU World School and that, he's got such an arsenal of pass rush moves. And this is kind of the knot you have on like Aiden and Kayvon and guys like that. They have specific ways they do it. They don't do everything. Houston, bull rushes. He dips, he dives, you know, he does swim move. He he will do pretty much anything he can to. You've seen in his limited snaps how he sets tackles up and then beats them. He, you know, he's very psychological with his game and he will beat you in any way of a million ways and you saw him do it then he just went with the bull rush this time and straight up destroyed a tackle and a quarterback in one and I think you know for Houston it's time he starts getting some more respect now I know people are there but a lot of people are saying oh well he's only getting the opportunities because Hutch is taking all the attention on another side no that's balls that needs to stop now. James Houston is winning without any help. He has been put in good situations, but you saw against the Bills when he sacked Josh Allen. He took down a tight end and the right tackle on his own. You know, this is his skill alone, which is allowing him to get to guys here. And that's what makes it all the more incredible that he's coming up with all these tackles. But he's exactly what we thought he could be. Yes, he's taken half a season on the practice squad. He's not coming, but... He, his game needed refining. This is why I, you know, this is why I have no issue with guys I like been stuck on the practice squad for a while. Because I know the Lions will develop them and bring them up when they feel it is necessary and when they feel it is ready. But you know, Houston's been great, and like I say, he's making these opportunities for himself. This is not a case of he's just a one-on-one and it's a favorable situation for him. In the in, in the hardest of situations, he is making plays for the Lions and it shows no sign of stopping. So you can't do anything but just completely and utterly praise him for how he's playing. And again, clutch stop for us. Kills a drive, allows us to go and put more points on the board, kill the game right then and there. So for James Houston, just to let you guys know, he's played in each of the last six games. This is the number of snaps he's had. 5, 12, 21, 25, 14, and then his most recent game, 33. He is increasingly being trusted to do what is required by the Lions. He keeps getting a little bit more rope to do his thing, and he keeps being given the trust. 33 snaps out of 52 total on defense, so that is... 60% of the snaps. As a comparison, Aiden Hutchinson only played 37 snaps compared to Houston's 33. So that's basically starter reps at this point. Houston is getting the trust from this coaching staff. And we should expect it to continue into the Green Bay game, I think. Yeah, this this defensive unit as a whole. Like I said, there's some guys that have 
basically cash their cheque that they're going to get new deals. Probably Bugs, definitely Kaminsky. It's it's just a weight off the shoulders now. It's like it's one less draft position to worry about next year. Do we really need to go hard in edge rusher? Absolutely not. Do we want a bit of interior help? Yeah, that's it. But right now, I'd say the defensive line is looking really healthy. So it it, it helps you realign, like you say, your draft needs. And you know where you're going to spend a little bit of money. So it, some of these guys are definitely going to get some extensions. Uh, ensuing possession then. So we've just sacked Fields twice. They've punted this time back to the lines 31. So nowhere near as good that one by the Bears punter. And I've got to say, the value of a good punter was really shown in this game because Fox completely outplayed his guy. Field position optimization specialist at his best. Uh, Goff play action check down to Williams for 15 yards, converts a third and one on a QB sneak, slow methodical rushing drive generally, nothing remarkable here, just peeling off five yards, four yards, five yards on rushing plays. Goff then throws a wide receiver wide receiver screen to Raymond on the right-hand side with Saul getting out there to block in front of him, which was really nice. First down and goal from the nine. And I mean, basically almost a carbon copy of what happened on the first touchdown, right from the tight end position, goes into block, then releases into the flat. Nice throw to Goff in front of his man in stride and right with all that momentum, gets in for a touchdown. PAT's good, 21-10 lines. And a wholly unremarkable drive. The Bears had absolutely no chance of doing anything on it. And the more I see Brock Wright, the more I become a believer. I, I know I said my statement earlier, but he, he's he got hands, he's got speed, and he can bloody block. It was a good drive, and the Lions really do start to press their advantage now with an 11-point lead still quite early on, really. Demoralising. How must how demoralising must that have been for Chicago? It was simple. It took a good time. It was just short yardage, chunk plays, worked our way down, didn't have an answer for anything. And then, yeah, we just, we went back to that watering hole that so far just just does not run empty. Brock Wright has to be the best value for money probably on this roster this year. He's only going to make $825,000 and he's got like, what, four or five touchdowns? I say he's part of the only triple tandem in the league that have all had multiple two-touchdown games. Him, Zilstra and James Mitchell are all right now like 1A, 1B, 1C. There's no like, no one's on a pedestal right now. Tanner, Tanner Engstrom, he's a tight end coach, isn't he? Like I say, he's doing great stuff. Like I say, they're, they're really learning from him. They're all working together as a unit and they're all young too. I said, they're all going to be back next year. I don't think any of them have got to worry about that. If they want to be here, there'll be a place for them. And I think Brock's going to get a nice little pay rise. He's going to make two, three million dollars next year, probably with incentives built in. So, yeah, I think the future right now is set. None of these tight ends are going to give you 10 catches for 140 yards because we just don't use them like that. Not in that vast quantity like TJ, but they will give you three catches, five targets, 30 yards and two touchdowns. In the red zone, they will make their bread and butter constantly. And then the rest of the time, they'll do the dirty, shitty work that TJ never wanted to do. He hated blocking. That's why he's not got any better at it. And he was visibly frustrated, like saying he whiffed on a block. The Vikings will pay him handsomely 
Tony's receiving threat, but they're going to realise that he can't do the dirty stuff, whereas we've got three guys now who are willing to do it, and I respect that tons more. And I think at this point the game was over, really. They just didn't care by this point. It was too easy for the offence this game was. The way with such ease you were able to run down the field and that, I mean, we, we were even picking on the secondary and well, last week we were like, well, we don't really want to go near Briscoe and Gordon because that's where they get a lot of the turnovers, that's where they can change games and, and we were picking on them. It was just, it, again, it was some men against boys and at this point you, you already knew which way the game was going. They, they weren't coming back into this one and yeah, just, just bullied them in all facets of the game really. Uh, in the next Chicago possession, Fields with his own re-keepers really well uh, read by Hutch. Limits Fields to only an eight-yard gain on the far sideline. And then Fields scrambling, advances on the right-hand side of scrimmage, and Houston pursues him from the back side with an amazing strip sack recovered by Hutchinson. I'll stop here because I know that Ant made a great tweet about this. Fields is falling down, and Malcolm Rodriguez's helmet does hit Justin Fields' helmet. Now, the Bears want to make a heck of a lot about this, Ant, but I know that you have a different feeling on it. This is just... The Bears fans have really gone down in my estimations this year, apart from the ones we like, because they're just such big crybabies. You can't hit a quarterback like that. Well, watch the damn play. Fields shouldn't have had the ball by this point. The play is busted. There's nothing he can do. He's running around like a headless chicken, tries to go downfield to make a play. Houston comes from behind, perfectly legitimate tackle on him, smacks the ball out. I mean, just Houston first off, that is terrific from your D end. You know, he's passed the play, but he, the effort he put in to get back, the technique to smack the ball out of Fields' hands was tremendous. And you can see Malcolm Rodriguez on approach because people do that really close cutting when he's about a foot away from him when they suddenly bring Rodriguez into view like he's targeting his helmet. No. Houston's tackle drags Fields to the ground and it drags him into the, the firing line of Rodriguez's helmet. Rodriguez can't do nothing. He is committed to tackling Fields in the body. He can't help that Houston comes in and all of a sudden the tackle drags him down into his sphere. And... You know, when you do it in slow-mo, you can make a case that it's targeting. But that's the whole point of doing it in slow-mo, because you're, you're trying to prove your point. Whereas when you play it normally, there's nothing wrong with that tackle. Justin Fields should have gotten rid of the ball or he should have slid. He's an idiot who doesn't know how to make the calls at this moment in time for it. And I'm not going to bash my players for that. One legitimate tackle takes it down into another. There is no call for ejection there. There's no dirty play. It's a great play from James Houston, and it's great coverage from Rodriguez, because even if Houston hadn't have made that, Rodriguez would have stopped him dead. There would have been no getting out of that. So stop whining about it. There's nothing wrong with that play. And I, I know, obviously, college and NFL are different, but I think everyone's remembering the college rules of targeting. It's like, it doesn't even exist in the NFL. Just get over it. And they're like, oh, but he was starting to slide because he saw him start to go down. It's like, he's going down because he's getting tackled from behind by James Houston. Like, he got hit. That's why he was going down, which means it's not the fault of the person coming up to defend him rushing. Like, I just don't get it. Ryan, amazing play by James Houston. Oh, yeah, he don't give up. Like you say, he goes around the backside, 
he's washed out by the tackle, who does a good job, and then Fields takes off. And yeah, you can see him like building up like a, a tank. He's gaining steam and momentum. And then, like you say, he reaches out this big boxer's glove, punches the ball out, and then, yeah, let's say Fields has lost the ball, he's collapsing. Like I say, Malcolm gives him a good lick and let that be a lesson to Justin Fields that if you don't start to learn to uh, scramble properly and slide, that one day he'll be wearing a titanium bracelet with his name and address on because he won't be able to fucking remember who he is. So, yeah, if you're a new era of QB, we've seen it with Lance. That basically ended his season. Don't want to slide. Lamar, don't like sliding. They fields. With the amount of protection he gets normally, he can't afford to put himself in harm's way. Or he'll literally last a few years in the league. So, yeah, this should be a lesson for you. Great football and player by everyone. I mean, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't that used to be the knock on Josh Allen that he would never get down and he would always take the contact and didn't slide? But you've seen him in recent years. He's a lot better at it now. He might even might manipulate you into thinking he is, but it's not the fault of defensive players that quarterbacks run and, you know, they they don't protect themselves. Like I say, they can slide... How long did Fields have the ball on that possession? When you've had the ball that long on a possession, it's busted. And if it's busted, get rid of it. You should know there's someone behind you. You should feel the pressure there. And for people to start crying saying it's a hit, no. How how can it be a hit? You, how fast is Rodrigo going into that tackle? He can't just stop Matrix style and change his direction. He is committed. If the guy is dragged down into his radius, that is not his fault. That is not what targeting is. Targeting is when you deliberately go for the head. When you And you can see when a guy is deliberately going for it. You see it at college. You know, 99% of targeting down there is actually just by because you can see them going for it and it's just boneheaded. This is not. And that's got to change. I just see the same tweet all day. Oh, my God, why is this not an ejection? This is awful. Why is Fields not getting protected? All I can say is you're, you're watching it wrong. You're looking for what you want to see, and it's not there. If you want to see Target and go watch the last play of the Michigan game, that was Target. I mean, it's, it's, it's so. It's, <laughs> I mean, I, you guys know that I have sympathies with Michigan, even though I'm not, uh, uh, you know, a flag waving fan. But it was textbook targeting that play, and you know what? Maybe he doesn't catch him right on the helmet in the middle of it. Maybe it is slightly glancing, but he does launch himself with the crown of the helmet and contacts the head. Like, sorry, that's targeting. In in the NFL, it would be unnecessary roughness and you don't get ejected. But the thing is, if the defender literally can't do anything about it because the quarterback's being interfered by somebody else, it ain't unnecessary roughness because it's necessary. Well, do you like, remember... It's the definition of necessary. Do you remember when Tracy Walker got done for it against you? I want to say Minnesota. He got ejected. Was that the sack where he laid him down? No, 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 no. This was the one when Anz. Can't remember. It was when Walker got ejected. Anzalone tackled. I think it was a quarterback who was like starting to slide, but Tracy had gone in low for the body, and Anzalone was coming over the top and pushed him down into him. 
And Tracy did get ejected for that. And we all had a big ass debate on whether it was or not. But generally people were, were on us. I was like, yeah, that's not an ejection because you can quite clearly see the quarterback's head was moved into his line of fire again. Mm-hmm. So the, you, yeah, you can't, that's not targeting. It's, You've got to be better as a quarterback. We talk about quarterbacks being too protected. You can't sack them or anything no more. But then it's like, oh, no, you can't place hits on them. Like It's like, make up your mind. Are, are they too protected? Are they not protected enough? You know, you lose your quarterback protections when you start scrambling. And, and that's the price of being a running quarterback. Well, at the end of the At the end of the day, I don't care about whether people think they are too protected, not protected enough, whatever. The rules are what they are. Go and play football. By less of the law, that's not a foul. Get on with it. Like, I don't care. I just don't care about this debate at all. The quarterbacks are as protected as they are. And it was a perfectly fine tackle. Get on with playing the game. Fields was rushing. He was trying to look down Fields for a throw. He got hit from behind. Then he got hit from in front. That's what happened. He could have thrown the ball away. I actually don't mind that he didn't, and he's looking down for to try and throw, because at this point, they're down in the game. They look like they need to really make a conversion here. Fields is doing the right thing for his team, and he's putting his body on the line to do it. Now, maybe he does need to learn to fight another day, but I respect him for it massively. And it was just a good play by the Lions in the end. So there we go. It, it should have been at this point where the Bears should have pulled him. Platform. You know, plain and simply, they should have pulled him. And it's why, if you believe he is your franchise quarterback, which nearly every Bears on the planet seems to believe that he is, and and management seem to believe that he is, why are you offering him up to this defensive line? Especially after a hit like that. He was injured after that. And then he still came back on and you're like, what are you trying to prove? You know, that he's a leader? Like I said on the tweets, leaders are smart. Leaders know when they're beaten and they know when to cut their losses and run. It's stupidity from then onwards to carry on being in that game. I mean, they already probably should have ruled him out this season. He's already playing injured and he got sacked, what, eight times by us? I, I lost ta- I, I I ran out of sack city jokes because we hit him that many times. So... I think, you know, I'm not, not against Fields here, but uh, the Bears organization by this point should be ashamed of themselves for the way that they are dealing with him. You don't give him no weapons, no offensive line protection, and you just serve him up to get hit week after week after week after week after week. And after that tackle, this shouldn't have, but legit tackle, end of story. Moving on with this game, and the Lions now have the ball after the punt following that Fields hit. Lovely on-time throw to Amaral Samara for 12 yards. Next play to Amaral St. Brown for 11 yards. Next play to James Mitchell for 15 yards. All back-to-back, just proceeding down the field. And it's not bad coverage. It's just receivers and quarterback perfectly in alignment. Perfectly with chemistry and timing and familiarity. And it's a really beautiful thing, this drive. Got a little cute in the red zone. After all that passing... They decided that they go run, run, and end up in a third and six. Quick pass out to, and I put Raymond, but it's not Raymond. It was uh, Josh Reynolds for four yards. He was kind of at the sticks and came back a little bit, which is unfortunate. Only gains four, and on fourth and two, even though they're at the four-yard line, Dan Campbell decides to take the points, makes it a 14-point game. Field goal is good, 24-10 Detroit. Uh, Velas Jones then in the next possession for the Bears from deep in the end zone at the end of the first half. 
returns it from eight yards deep to the Detroit 45. He beats Jack Fox, and the Lions get lucky to not give up six there, I think. Um, good hustle to, to get him down. Only like nine seconds left at this point, maybe seven seconds left. The Lions rush one, drop 10 into coverage. Aiden Hutchinson is lined up as an outside cornerback on the play, which is just weird. And Fields and the offensive line for the Bears, when it snapped, look around like, I don't know what to do. Like, they just look so confused with no assignments, no one to block. It's the weirdest thing I think I've seen on a football field in some time. And Fields, flummoxed, decides to see a receiver streaking across with no chance of that conversion, that catch, doing anything because it ends the half. And Hutchison picks it off and the Lions go off into the half, 24 to 10 in front. Great half of football, boys. Good drive by the Lions to get that field goal. Shame that they couldn't convert it into more. And then what a pick by Hutchinson and what a play defensively by Detroit. You know, you know that um, like what the fuck meme of that guy who's just there mouthing what the that was kind of me after Hutch pick. I'm like, what the hell is he doing there? And that's like near the perimeter. And I'm like, why why is my edge catching a pass on the perimeter from the snap? It was crazy, but you know, good way to end the half, just keeps your momentum going. As for the field goal, I know it's very inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, but I think that was a very smart call by Dan Campbell. When you're on top in a game, which we were, to keep putting points on the board. Don't risk not getting points, because then you kind of keep them around. And I know it only goes from 11 to 14, but, you know, when you're making big plays, when you're beating a team down, there's nothing more demoralising than seeing the scoreboard continuing to creep further and further away from you. And old Dan Campbell might have tried to go for that. And if you don't get that, you kind of give the Bears' defence a bit of a lift. The offence might have a chance to get some points on the board, and then it could be a completely different game. Campbell's game management skills are vastly superior to what they were at the start of this season. He he gets it now. He's doing a lot better with his game management, the situations there. Just put the points up. Odds are you're going to stop them before the half. They're not going to get any more there. So take the safe points. And and, and I'm glad they did in the end. I, I kind of maybe did want them to go for it for a bit at first. But when they took the field goal, I'm like, yeah, that, that was actually the sensible call. And, and that's what I want to be saying about my head coach. I want to be sort of sat there going, yeah, that's the sensible call. That's what I want him to do. So, yeah, f- fair play, Dan, for the call. And then, yeah, well done, Hutch, for the, for the pick at the end. It's just crazy. Yeah, it was good clock management as well. Because he used like 24 seconds, took the time, yeah. took the offense off the field, and then said, Well, we'll take the field goal and we'll give them the ball back with 11 seconds to go, no time whatsoever. And then, yeah, like I say, all the linebackers and safeties were deep, like I say, like 20, 30 yards downfield. Both defensive ends were on the sideline and like they literally goaded fields, literally said, We want you to throw the ball to someone. And Hutch literally just it ambles and then he just jumps like he's like a, he's just going to do a little layup. Like Fields was baffled. Should have just taken a knee. They should have just kneeled out the half if they didn't know what was going on. Like he literally thought he had something. Like I say, the play was never going to go anywhere. Eight seconds left and he needed to go about 50 yards and we've got all the defenders 30 yards deep. Like I say, you take a shot or you kneel out the half. Like I say, just a bizarre decision, but yeah, Hutchinson, he'll take those layups all day. It was kind of embarrassing, actually. I think that really summed up the Bears' day. 
And it's kind of demoralising as well, because I know you might just say it's the end of the half, it's a throwaway play, it doesn't matter, but picks still stick with you. It gives the defence more, you know, it gives Hutch, you know, more energy, you know, he's got a pick, he was just a menace to them absolutely all day, and, you know, it, it makes quarterback second-guess himself, and, and that offence just didn't come back out in the second half, I think. You kind of feel like that pick at the end was just like, that was the white flag as far as the offense, where they're just like, oh, you know what, screw this, throw it away, we don't care, we're not going to win. But the half itself in general was very impressive from the Lions. It was, you know, we took the hit early, you thought back to last week and you thought, oh, God, is the hangover going to come? Are they going to be able to deal with it? They're at home, the crowd's quietened. But the response was terrific. Um, They made the stops when they needed to. The defense kind of got it together and the offense just kept going out and scoring points and was just dominant, really. And the 24-10 at the half, I know you thought, well, the Lions were down 14 in the first game, but you never had the sense that the Bears... Bears can't fight from behind like that because of how they play. So it was just a really terrific half from the Lions. It ended well. Dan Campbell, as Ryan said, just the time management, everything was perfect to a T, did not give them a chance at all. And you go into the half and you're like, right, let's just keep this tempo up and we're really going to crush these guys. Yeah, fantastic half of football, like you say. There's no fear at this point. It, it felt like the game was done. That interception was sort of nails really being hammered into the coffin there. And the second half starts with Goff eating a nine-yard sack. Like, he sees three men in his face, and he just goes to ground instead of being a hit, which was smart. Third and 18, and they run a draw from shotgun and it's like okay i've seen this before from the lions and you know you're hoping for the best but you're trying for field position here and swift with two blockers in front of him gets to where the blockers are one man untouched gets to him spin move to beat him and he's away gain of 35 on third and 18 really put a dagger in their heart the play following that is the jmo reverse so handed off to Oh, I can't remember which running back it was. I want to say Swift running to his left-hand side. J-Mo in the wide receiver position on the left-hand side, running the reverse, running left to right. He takes the pitch from Swift and takes it 40 yards with Penne Saul out in front of him. And he's patient. He follows his block and gets all the way down to the eight-yard line of Chicago. Uh, following that, from the two-yard line, Jamal punches it in for from two yards for his 15th rushing touchdown of the season. PAT's good and 31 to 10 Detroit. A remarkable set of circumstances, guys. And I mean, if the Lions go three and out there and Chicago gets a touchdown, you're saying, okay, I didn't have any fear, but it's a seven point game now. And, you know, anything can happen from here instead. Swift breaks that off. Jamo's reverse and then Jamal doing what he does best. It was a, it was a staggering turnaround for the Lions on that drive. And, and, you know, the game really is done now. So that last play of the first half was where the offense waved the white flag for Chicago. That third and 18 was where the defense waved the white flag. They they were just not interested. And, you know, when Swift put that spin move on, he should have been tackled. You know, you'd think that on a team like Chicago last year, you saw with the Lions, the players fought to the end because they realized there were places available and that their NFL futures were on the line. The Chicago team just didn't really look like it cared less. There was no conviction in the tackling. They weren't really bothered about filling the gaps. And and Swift just had his way with them. Um, it was 
it was good for us, but that is where the defence down tools there, that third and 18. And, and after that, it was just a procession. Um, it's good for us, but really sad for them. You expected to see a little bit more fight out of them than that. Oh, yeah, that cakewalk. A few weeks ago, you wouldn't have called that play because Swift wouldn't have had the confidence to pull off that spin move. He'd probably got a few yards and been swallowed up and then we'd punt it away, but you could tell that he was really in the groove, he was in the game, he was feeling good. And then, yeah, like a poor attempt at a tackle. He just swung arms in and he didn't even, like, say, break down Laurie's shoulder to pop him. And Swift, yeah, pops off a great move and then gets around the edge and then it's a foot race. And that Once you get Swift out in the open field like that, behind the linebackers, good luck catching him. Like I say, he's forced out of bounds. And then, yeah, and then when they were reeling, the defence there was really perfect time. Like I said, pitch to Swift, pitch to Jamo the other way. Even Goff like, was taken off after him as well, like leading him out there. And then say Sewell blockers downfield. And that was unlucky not to score. He must have been going at least 19, 20 miles an hour. He's literally just forced and runs out of room. But yeah, those are the kind of players we need uh, sweeps, we need jet, we need uh, kick returns, punt returns. It's time now to unleash Jameson Williams. He's clearly 100%. He's physical. He's ready for the workload too. So I think next week, I think we're going to see the breakout of Jameson Williams. Just as an aside here, folks, Ian Rappaport a couple of hours ago reported that the star linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks, Jordan Brooks, has suffered a season-ending ACL injury. Lions need the Seahawks to lose this Sunday to have a chance to make the postseason. That is a killer blow for Seattle. He's excellent. He's made up for other big losses in the offseason at that position. He was already good before, but he's really taken over the mantle from the 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 Rams um acquiry. I can't remember his name. Why can't Bobby Wagner? Bobby Wagner. Thank you very much. Um yeah, so big, big loss for Seattle. Anyway, getting back to the matter at hand. Um so 21-point lead after that touchdown for the Lions. Fields again under pressure from Hutch. Third and seven and a lovely pass breakup by Kirby Joseph. It was Kirby Joseph, apparently, on that um, far sideline. Ryan, I said it was Ifati Malafonwu, but I was wrong. Kirby Joseph uh, looked like it was caught. In fact, on the coverage, they say, oh, I think he's a little short, when in fact he hasn't even caught the ball at all. Punt to the 15 of Detroit and a flag on the play. Amani making his... <sighs> Last few appearances for the team, making sure he gets the last couple of flags in. I I wash my hands, unfortunately, of him. He did get a PBU later, which I'll mention, but there we go. Um, so the Lions take over. Goff with an incredible throw to Chark. So backed up deep in their own territory. And Goff with a two-step drop and a throw to the far sideline. And just by timing, Chark has... Half a yard of room is the sort of throw that we saw Stafford throw to Golladay all the time and Chark makes a lovely one-handed grab Goff has such good touch on those sorts of things and you can see that timing with Chark is just there um then nice throw to Amaraz and Brown over the middle for 11 then a play action pass on a comeback route to Raymond on the near sideline that made it 12 straight completions for Jared Goff at this point then Goff with a pump fake to Amaraz and Brown in motion from right to left then throws a screen to DeAndre Swift on the right hand side nice blocking in front DeAndre Swift 
waits for the play to develop in front of him in the blocking. If he went too quickly, he'd get tackled, but he waits for his blocks, plunges through the gap, and that's a touchdown for the Lions from like 20-odd yards out. PAT is good, and the Lions are up by 28 at 38-10. to 10. And that drive, for me, was all about Jared Goff. The throw to Chark, the throw to Amon Ra, the throw to Raymond, and then on time to Swift. And then Swift, I mean, what a game he had here too. It was it was impressive all round, fellas. Oh, the Bears are just... Bears just want the game to end. The fans want the ground to swallow them up. The players are ready to get back on their play. They're just, they just want... They're just basically at this point giving up. Like say, whatever gets the clock chewed up fast enough. But Jared Goff was not ready to let them off the hook. He said, we're going to punish you. Yeah, He goes, we're not taking the foot off the gas. I'm going to still fire darts. Swift, like I say, showed that level of patience that he's not had in the last few weeks where he's been bailing on routes, not waiting for blockers, bouncing out and getting tackled. He waited for them to develop, hit his hole, strided in, had one of his best games of the season, threw the air on the ground. And yeah, Jarrett just, when Jarrett Goff is in the zone, when he's lasered in, he's dialed in, focused, top five QB in the league. I say it's just simple as that. And the the repertoire, the the reputation he's now got with, I say, Khalif Raymond, who had one of the most underrated games of the season, I say, he's really come into his element in the last four or five weeks. And then Chark, Amon Ra. It's hard to build this kind of thing. People are really getting frustrated with Jameson. Like, he threw a few balls at Jameson's feet. Some of them were a bit wide, missed. It takes a long time to, like, you need a whole off season to build this kind of chemistry. They're not going to get it now. It's not going to happen next week. It's going to be next season. Like I said, it takes a lot of practice to work on this. And they like said, Chark, slow season, IR, but he's worked on himself. He's in a mentally good place. He's come back and he's dominated. And he's definitely good. As long as he doesn't ask for astronomical money, he'll be absolutely back. And we'll probably see a career year for DJ next year. But yeah, I think Goff right now is playing uh, some of the best football he's ever played. This is probably his best season of his career. And that's not including the one he went to a Super Bowl in because he's literally commanding an offence right now that can have its way with anyone. And yeah, Bears fans, like at this point, I just feel sorry for them. Like They're, they're getting shown up. I, th- I think there's very little you can take away from the game after this. I mean, it was very good how we kept our foot on the gas and we were playing well, but we were playing against an opponent that didn't care. So... There's not really that much you can take away from it. You're not going to come up against teams that have just thrown in the white flag and it's still halfway through the third quarter. You know, you're in that sort of time. From then, The game just felt done by then. And, and yeah, it was great that we kept the foot on the gas, like I say, but it's hard to take things away from this. Yes, Goff was great and I love him there and that, but it's against a defence that doesn't give a crap. So there's only so much you can loud them for it. True, but I'm going to give props to the guys still making it happen. So I'm going to go through the rest of this, although we are close to the end here. Fields fumble as well in the next possession. Benito Jones on the rush hits Fields' arm. Detroit challenge the ruling on the field because they call it an incomplete pass. Stands as called. It was close. I think maybe the right call just, but it's really, really close. I think however it's called on the field, it probably stands that way. 
They can't convert the third and seven anyway, and they punt to the Detroit 19. Lions go three and out on the next possession. Fields then sacked by Houston, and this is one of the plays that's really blown up on social media. Houston drops into coverage from the wide nine. He drops into coverage, follows someone in in um, crossing route from left to right, passes him off, and then when Fields runs out to his left-hand side to to um, Houston's right-hand side. Houston goes, right, I'm going for it. And you just see him absolutely explode to the ball. He's about 10 yards away when he starts, but he's on him in a flash, takes him down in stages, and, and Fields doesn't know what's hit him. He tries to shimmy past him, but there's absolutely no way he's doing that. And can't then convert the third and 19, and they end up punting. A um, couple of things there, fellas. The, the fumble that wasn't and the Houston sack. What do you reckon? Refs just felt sorry for them. <laughs> That's why we didn't get the. I think the refs were just feeling sorry for them at that point. Um, it was a fumble. We should have had the ball back, but they had enough punishment that day, so kind of let them get away with one there. Houston, that. That's what makes Houston so dangerous. We we've had problems with rushing quarterbacks for so long, but because you don't have a guy who has the closing speed that he does, and that's what makes him so dangerous. He's getting fast. And like you said, to be able to go from coverage, the second Fields rolls out to extend the play, he knows what he's got to do. He just get, acts like he's shot out of a cannon, goes, and the tackle, you know, the, the execution, the technique, the style with it was just perfect. Would not let him go. Rags his, rags his ass down, makes sure the play is over. And that's why, you know, you need to deploy James against these mobile quarterbacks because he is capable of making that sort of play. When you've got a guy who can do that, a quarterback thinks twice before he goes running, you know, against you. So, you know, just tremendous for him again at this point. It's just, it was a good game. You can see all the versatility in his game, all the little things he can do. And, you know, he got his just rewards for it. Honestly, I thought it was Derek Barnes. I didn't even realise it was Houston because that's the kind of play Barnes makes where he tracks a QB down mm. side to side and then shoots. And he moved like a guy that's like 210 pounds, not a guy that's like <clears throat> 230, 240. He looked like he was 20, 30 pounds lighter because he was shot out of a cannon. And then the finish, he grabbed him like a boa constrictor. He wrapped him up and then went into like the alligator death roll and he just crumpled him and tied him in a knot and... I bet that one hurt. I bet he really felt that because he properly, he had it tied up in knots. So yeah, that was that was the exclamation point on this. And then yeah, they call it a, a forward pass on the flare. They they were never going to overturn it. His fingers literally just come off the ball. It just falls out of his hand. I said instantly it's a fumble, but I knew they weren't going to give us it because yeah, it was damage limitation at that point. But yeah, that. That, that just wrecked him. I think at that point, I was like, for Christ, take him out. I said, and now we take our QB out before they do. I'm like, that's got to be Fields' last player. So, next possession, the Lions throw, uh, throw out a jet sweep of their own on third and one. Khalif converts near midfield. Then a uh, running back swing pass to DeAndre Swift on the far sideline, converts on third and long, but Zilstra's ping for holding, which is the most egregious call I think I saw all day. If you have a look, if you have a look at the textbook definition of what you are meant to do when you are blocking, Zilstra does that. Like, 
if you have a look in the manual of how to play football, that's what's in there. And he gets pinged for holding. I hate, hate, hate that call. Um, can't convert the ensuing third and long. Fox ends up punting all the way down, safe court of the Chicago Fives so of pinning them deep. Chicago then goes three and out again, with Fields start, suddenly starting to learn how to throw the ball away. Lions then proceed down the field on fourth and two. Goff with loads of time, can't convert the fourth down. Bears end up taking over. I'll stop there. Um, just that Zilstra play, fellas. Absolutely killed me. I know we've won the game at this point, but it's one thing not calling the fumble because that's like the status quo. But they went out of their way to make a bad call on that one. I don't get it. He had his hands under his shoulder pads and he drove him into the sideline. The running back goes behind him. The defender makes no effort to disengage or twist. He's literally shoulder to shoulder, square up on his man. It's the definition of a perfect block. Like I say, it's like they went out of our way, like, oh, we've called a really good game for Lions. Now let's do something to piss them off because we feel like we have to. Bullshit. Everyone knew that was a great block, and Zilstra knew it was a great block too. He looked furious. I couldn't care less. <laughs> it's, it's an inconsequential call in a game we've won. Meh, whatever. Fair. Um, Bears do end up getting a first down in their next possession. It's their first first down of the second half, and it was at 6.57 in the fourth quarter. That's how good the Lions defence played in that second half. I know that Ant's talking about them giving up, but I didn't see give up from Fields, maybe the rest of the team but he was still trying. Lions end up with good pressure on this possession, forced two holds on the Chicago offensive line, but Pascal gets a sack anyway, tripping up fields with his arms by his ankles. Really good stuff. Holding on Kirby Joseph gifts Chicago a first down. Rodriguez off injured on that play. Don't know what, what's happened there. I know that there was a press conference happening right now, so that's probably been revealed at this point, but I haven't heard it yet as to how Rodriguez is Fourth and two, Chicago go for it. Why? Um, and a nice pass breakup by Fati Melifonu on the near sideline. Tight coverage on the boundary as an outside cornerback, as Ant has been talking about before, getting him back where he's comfortable. Tight coverage, competition at the catch point, pass breakup. Lovely stuff. They turn it over on downs, and Goff is benched now at this point. The Lions have won the game. There's no need to put him in harm's way. And as soon as we do that, Jamal Williams makes the play of the game in terms of a rushing perspective by a running back. With pulling linemen, he bursts through a gap for 58 yards. You think he doesn't have home run speed? Well, when he gets going, he really can go. Lions then run... Run, run, false start on Kaminda, sack on Sudfeld, who didn't step up in the pocket when he needed to. Lions take the field goal from 41 yards, which is good. 41-10 to the Lions. Holding on Chicago and then a false start. Good throws of Claypool, but a pass breakup by Armani Oruwarie to end the game. Fields throws the ball away on third down. They punt and the Lions kneel. That is the ball game. Um... I mean, it it almost felt like benching Goff came a little bit too late. The day's basically done. Um, I don't think there's anything too much to mention there, boys, at the end of that game, unless you have anything to comment on. Nope. No. So notes on this game and just a few of the um, records that have been broken in this game or other things of note that I saw during the coverage. Detroit have the fewest giveaways in the NFL on 
offense. That is how well they have been doing in that regard. This was a Ford Field single-game rushing record, as I mentioned earlier, with 265 yards. That's the most Detroit have had in a game since 1978. This is all per the Lions um, PR account on, on Twitter. James Houston now has the most sacks in NFL history through six games with eight. He is the fifth to record six sacks and a forced fumble in the first six games since 1999 and the first since Von Miller in 2011, who Ash pointed out on the live show yesterday. He's been comped to more than a f- once. Uh, James Houston and Aj- Aiden Hutchinson are the first set of rookie teammates to log at least seven sacks each in a season and the third set of NFL rookie teammates to produce a game with two and a half sacks. With Houston's three and Pascal's two, it's the first time in franchise history two rookies have logged two sacks in the same game. Four rookies this year for the Lions have had a sack this year, excluding 1987. This ties the 1990 Lions for most by rookies in a season, or most rookies to do it in a season. And Hutchinson is the first defensive lineman rookie in NFL history to get three interceptions. The last to do so at all in the NFL was Richard Dent in 1990. The last Lion to do it pre-Super uh, Bowl era was Sonny Ganji in 1954. I know that the season is 17 games now, but this is game 16. Doesn't have anything to do with the extra game. The Lions are making history with this team. It's young, fellas, and it's producing in a really big way, especially at the edge position. This is one of the best draft classes I've ever seen. Are the Lions in the league? And I've watched the NFL for like 13, 14 years. Someone go out there and find me a more productive rookie draft class because you won't find it. Like I said, the, the Lions have got, I think, nearly 18 sacks on their rookies. The Bears have not even got 20. An entire defense for an entire rookie class. We're, we're, we're out dueling most defenses. I say stat wise, with a bunch of kids. I say guys that are fifth and sixth rounders that wouldn't even be on the roster on some teams. I say that you could take guys like the Ravens defense, the Bills defense. They won't give any of these players a chance. They'd be probably sat on the practice squad just wasting away. But like I say, we've we drafted them, we've trusted them. And when they've had to come in and fill holes, they've then not given them roster spots back. So yeah, this is the brightest like the Lions' future on defense uh, for a number of years. Back-to-back draft classes now that Brad Holmes has installed and plugged in. We're reaping the rewards so early. If this team had not started one and six, we could have 12, 13 wins this season. We honestly could have won this NFC North. Like I say, and it was just because they were just not ready yet. After seven games, it was just teething issues and some poor coaching. Few tweaks, and they're playing like one of the best, hungriest defences in the league. So I think the Lions PR Twitter is going to be pretty busy next week as well because at least one of them is going to extend more records. So, yeah, on and off the field this year, it's it's just been just pluses and just bright spots going into 2023. Next year is when we'll see the culmination of all this hard work and in another rookie class too. Yeah, no, it's been very, very encouraging to see what the rookies have done this year. They say some of them have been put into really hard spots and they've they flourished 
you know, the high-impact guys have come in and, and they've done what they needed to do. You know, some have been injured. We're just getting them back. But the late-round guys especially have just been so, so productive. And I think the thing Brad Holmes does so well is, and, and Dan Campbell for the most part, they, they find the guys who have the right attitude, who have the right work ethic, but also have a high ceiling in terms of talent. They may not be you know, the traditional best player available on the board at the time, but they fit the Lions' culture. And, and you can see that with what's happened with Malcolm Rodriguez, with James Houston. You know, you can see these kind of guys, that they're, they're the right fit for us. I think if they were on a lot of other teams, they wouldn't they, they wouldn't have had the sort of success they've had so far. And it seems to have been a theme of both the draft classes so far is they've just got the right attitude with the guys. They've got the right... They, they've just got the right stuff for what they need with the Lions. Um you know, not going to crown the class yet. You know, three years, you've always got to give a draft class before you truly crown it as been groundbreaking. Let's not forget 2018. You know, we all thought that Deshaun Hand, on Johnson, all these guys were the next best thing, all had great rookie years in the league, and we lost a lot of it. It wasn't good. You know, there's going to be new challenges on this team next year where these rookies have to start performing in games that matter all season and expectations placed on them. But for the first year, you literally couldn't ask anything more of them, really. And guys like JMO, guys like Pascal, they're going to be fully fit and healthy next year and they're going to be able to get going. And I think the class is going to keep getting better and better. So for year one, it's been terrific. But going forward, you know, they're not there yet. Sunday night football, Lions Packers. It's just been released. We are on prime time. We've been flexed, which means I'm going into work late on Monday next week. <laughs> I'm starting. I... I'm starting my Christmas holidays as of today, so I've got the next two and a half weeks off, so I can stay up as late as I want. And if we win, I'm going to spend all night tweeting FTP, literally just all night. That that is how happy I will be. So what time is that? Is that half past one? No, one twenty. Starting the morning. Half past twenty past one till yeah twenty past four. Uh, I might see if I can. It's January. Who works in January? No one works in January. I've I've got six holiday days until thirty first December twenty twenty three. That's all I have. What time is Seattle going to play? Do we think nine pm? Uh, let me. I guess all the other. I guess they'll all have been flexed now. Seattle, Seattle is a 4.25 kick Eastern time, so they will finish an hour before we start. Yeah. So we'll know where we we'll know how where we stand for kickoff. Oh. oh. I, might have to, I might have to tweet stream the Seahawks game as well. Do two in a row. And why don't you come on with me and we'll live stream reactions for both games. I've now got to find somewhere to watch the Lions game because it won't be on Game Pass, will it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you no, it won't be. That's that's yeah. uh, that's Sky territory. Sunday night? No, it's not. All the late games Sunday night. They're they're Game Pass free. Oh, sweet. If, okay. If you get the only Sky only block one out at six at nine twenty five over here. The late game is never blocked on the Game Pass. Oh, there we go. Lucky lucky days. Happy days. I was fearing it was going to be the Sky game, and we we're going to have to scramble to watch it if it was a one pm kick. So. Go. No, no, we're good. Oh, we are good. Right. Talking points from this game. And one of the first things I want to bring up is something I met, I, I saw straight away. 
which is the biggest difference on defense. Now, the Lions stringently against the Bears in the first game stuck to four down linemen. So in base or in nickel, whatever you have. After the first possession where Fields burned them, they switched to almost five down linemen for the entirety of the rest of the game. The three interior guys worried about Fields rushing on the interior and the two outside linebackers effectively played man on Fields. Beat your man, contain Fields. Don't think he's not running the ball. And it worked perfectly. You saw it either side. Fields was contained all game. It was a very quick switch. Got it wrong in the first possession. And then they instantly knew what to do to bottle him up. And after that first couple of Fields runs, he did Sweet fuck all. And I just want to give my props to Aaron Glenn because a few times now I've questioned his ability to recognize straightforward changes that you have to make in a game or preparation. And although they didn't start that way, they must have prepared for the change because they did it without Glenn having to make that change at halftime. So I want to throw my props out there to them for that. I don't know if, if you saw that, guys, because... It was glaring to me that they were playing five down linemen. Yeah, they, they saw that. Like said, the the Bears playbook, their their game plan went out the window so quickly. I say like they had to bail on that when they realised straight away that there was a player like we say where Jer- Jerry Jacobs crashed in on the five down linemen and got a tackle for loss. Like I say because Fields was used to hitting that hole and try getting outside. And Jerry slammed the door straight in his face and literally split, smacked him. Right? And those are the kind of players in the first game that just weren't happening. I said, against Carolina, they weren't happening. They were coming down or they were diving at their feet. They were missing. They were getting there too late. Right? They literally, he sold out to stop Justin Fields because that's how you stop the Bears. And we did it perfectly. I said, Hutchinson, two of those players where, like I say, Fields burns outside, slams the brakes on and expects Hutch to just carry on going or not stop in time and to cut back underneath him. Both failed. They say he slammed the brakes on with him too, grabbed him by the helmet and sat him on his ass. They say corner blitz as well. Like Will Harris did like one good thing all day. And he came in on a huge corner blitz, jumped up in his face, got a big hand in the air and uh, forced an incompletion that led to a punt. So they gave Justin Fields hell. Yeah, Aaron Glenn, like I say, deserves a lot of credit. Like I say, schemed up really well. And then on the other side, the players bought in and they were disciplined. Like I say, they were no taking it for granted just because we had a strong lead. They still kept him and they still kept making his life misery all day. So, yeah, so positive day all around on defence, apart from one thing. Like I say, when we go 2-1, two, 2 up, 2 down, one person's yeah. getting bought we'll, by downs. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And did you spot the five down lineman thing? Yeah, I noticed it a bit more with them this time. I, I was just really impressed with how they adjusted in this game early on. You know, I think it took them a little while to get going with it. But I think after a while, um, they really sort of got it nailed out. And I was really impressed with the discipline the team used this time. Especially Aiden was the one I noticed it with most. That first game... He overcommitted so many times against Justin Fields. He was too aggressive. He was too eager to go and try and make a play against him. And this one, he was great. He was so disciplined. There were so many times Fields was coming up and it came to a one-on-one tackle. And in 
you know, in the field. And it was like, right, he's got him here. He's stopping him. He's been disciplined. He's not trying to be too aggressive. It was, it was really great from the Lions D all told. They, you know, they reined themselves in a bit. And in doing so, they stopped Fields from being able to operate how he normally does. Every team is going to give away one or two big plays against him. You see it on the highlight reel every week. But for the rest of the game, for nine cents of the game, you can keep him completely bottled up then you've done a fantastic job. And, and our D-line did that. So I like the look, but I love the discipline from the players even more. And when they got a shot at him, they let him know about it. They put everything into it because, you know, that's how you stop him from going. They did fantastically with Justin Fields in this game. We did. The defence was exceptional. And you can just go through them all and think about how good of a day they had with the one exception, which I will leave out and Ryan can get to that later. But Houston... Pascal, Hutch, McNeil, Bugs, Jones, Anzalone made an impact early with some really big hits which started to turn the tide when the Bears looked like they had some momentum. Fields only completed seven passes. The Lions had seven pass breakups. They had as many pass breakups as the Bears had completions, including two by Afatu Melafonwu. Like, from top to bottom, pretty much, the Lions on defense had an exceptional day. Like, it's hard to pick out just one or two people when it comes to two up, two down. Like, they all played really, really well. I'm, I'm just so happy. <laughs> so, so happy. Um, Let's switch it around to the offense. Goff had a fantastic day. Like, I know the Bears' defense is not that good. I know it isn't. But you have to beat what's in front of you. And you can win and not look good. But Goff looked good like the passes were on time in front of his men in stride not losing momentum by throwing it behind people he was let down by drops a couple of times as well chark notably on the third down forcing a fourth which was then not completed goff taking check downs when there was no other options throwing it away when there's nothing there he is the picture of composure right now I'm still not sold on him as a as a long-term solution, but if he wanted to convince me, he's going the damn right way about it. We just broke them on both sides of the ball. The offense did, you know, the offense did, the defense did, but they say the offense kept things fresh. They ran the ball better, they blocked better, they seemed to find the rhythm that they've been lacking. Now again, is caliber of opposition sort of an indicator in maybe it is a little bit, but you've still got to do your job on them. And and let's not forget the overall arc of this game was the Detroit Lions just had their ass handed to them and the Bears could have dumped them out the playoff run, you know, at home in front of their own crowd. This is a game we could well have lost in previous years when the likes have been bright, our team's buckled. But, you know, in a game where you are expected to win, it, it doesn't always happen. You see some of the results around the league. Anyone can beat anybody. And for us to come out and just absolutely annihilate them the way we did was hella impressive. And no matter how bad the Bears are, you've got to give the Lions credit for that. So, yeah, offensively, they just did everything right. They ran hard. They passed the ball well. Chicago just... The defense just had no idea what it was doing. They were not able to play call right. They weren't scheming right. And we just completely and utterly took advantage of them. And, and that, that went the same for both sides of the ball after the first little bit. So, you know, well done to the Lions. This was this was three years of losing to Mitch Trubisky anguish sort of wrapped up in a little package and smacked right over their head in this one. I've wanted to do that to them for a very long time now. 
that little mid-fucking QB owned us, this is the time when the tides turn. They are... I think they've realised just how far they are behind us now, and 120 million ain't going to completely bridge that gap. So it was a statement that we needed to make and a statement that we did make, and it could not have been made any more emphatically. And I'm just delighted. It's about my favourite win of the season, just because of how much I hate the Bears. Impressed by Goff, Ryan? Yeah, I'm... Uh, as Derek, as uh, as Ricky Gervais said in the office, you've charmed me. Like, uh, I, right now, like I say, I'm not, I'm not going to change the contract. I'm not going to do anything restructuring. But like I say, next year, right, there's no question about. Like I say, I feel like he's going to start the season in a good place. Right now, his confidence is sky high. His morale, like you say, everyone is like the league is giving him love. He feels like a guy that now feeds off that positive energy when he feels good about himself and people are giving him, like you said, you don't need compliments, but I feel like he takes criticism sometimes probably to heart. Like I said, I reckon that LA, like say, dealing and bashed him, it must have hurt. The ego must have been bruised, but that's long gone. Like I say, it's here. He's happy. Like I say, he's putting up. His best best QB in the NFC North. I'm sorry, Vikings fans. It's not fucking Kirk, prime time pretend cousins. Sharik off. Like I said he's protecting the ball better than most people in the league. Like I said, don't like I said the deep ball has got better since like weeks ten onwards. The deep ball he's dropping throws on a dime. Like I said he's got that connection, the chemistry of his guys, and yeah, like I said, and now he's making better decisions. He's not eating sacks. He's throwing the ball away. He's doing a little bit of running as well in the last few weeks. He's just commanding an offense, and him and Ben Johnson are just just so on a wavelength right now. It's like Ben Johnson, like his ghost, is playing QB. Like he's just everything. Let's say he gets the player calls, got Goff. Even like when the helmet wasn't working, he didn't look bothered. Goff last year, if his helmet wasn't working, would have probably been flapping. Like had to waste a time out. In between players, he was walking to the sideline casually because he knew there was so much time left on the play clock. Not bothered at all because he just it was everything was on a shoestring. Yeah, I feel really good about going into next year with Jared Goff. And for me, I'm not asked about dra- drafting a QB in any round right now. If someone falls, sure, because we need a better backup because Nate Sudfeld is Nate Sudfeld. But we, we don't have to worry about getting a replacement for at least the next two years. I say the next the next class twenty twenty four. Let's revisit the issue then with Caleb Williams and Drake May and them guys. That's fine. But right now, it's all good. It, it it sounds cheesy, but you kind of feel like he feels like he's part of a family again. Almost, he kind of got outcasted from the Rams wrongly as well. Vay's just a prick, um, and. You've seen how he's sort of, you know, he's become Detroit in the way he looks, the way that he acts. But I mean, that big touchdown run that Williams, uh, touchdown run, that big run that Williams busted off at the end of the game, Goff's not on the field at this point. He's running down the sideline, like celebrating with him. And he's the first one he runs on the field and congratulates him just for busting off a run. And it like, he kind of feels like he's part of a family now that he's embracing that and he's playing his heart out for them. Which is which is what we need from him. So it's absolutely great. 
That being said, this is where it gets very dangerous in terms of team building and looking, you know, for the ultimate goal of getting to a Super Bowl. When we're in a rush of emotion like we are now, the team is playing well, it's winning games. It's very easy to just go, right, we'll bring all these guys back next year and we'll go again. Because that doesn't always work. You've seen what momentum did at the end of last year. We kind of were like, oh, great, there's a lot of players here. But then we started off bad. You've always got to look at your team and how you can build it. And if an opportunity becomes available for someone to come here who you might think is better in the long run, you, you can't live off the emotion and the nostalgia. You always have to look forward. But as of now, Goff is playing his way into another year here, and I've got no problem with that. But... We can't just, you know, we can't just say, yeah, it's fine, it's going to happen. You've got to wait and see what opportunities present themselves first because you've got to keep getting better. And that's the issue that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell are going to have when this season is done because there are a lot of players who it's going to be a very fine line when it comes to the emotion and are the best thing here long term. This is where your rebuilds can stall if you if you bring too many guys back and you don't keep building. So we'll, we'll see with it. But right now, I just couldn't be more happy with a lot of them. And I'm, I'm just really delighted Goff's playing well. As they, I think he got absolutely screwed over by the Rams, and I'm glad that he's kind of getting his, well, not so getting his revenge, but he's moved on and he's at somewhere where he's wanted now, where he's playing well. Good for him. And Packers fans, you can cry about it, but we have the better QB coming into the matchup this weekend. Ours is playing better. Right now, Jared Goff is better than Aaron Rodgers. Cry about it all you want, but it's true. And the final bit on this team in terms of talking points is just the run game. I know there's the stat of the you know, highest amount of rush yards since the 70s. But aside from that, never mind the big runs that kind of got us there late. Throughout the game, we put ourselves in favorable situations. Goff and the run game was very complementary to each other. They helped each other out. This shows you what you can do when the run game is actually effective. It has gone away for the last five weeks, but it came back with a vengeance, and not because of that Williams 58-yard run late. They consistently ran for about five yards a carry, and it absolutely destroyed the Bears, and it was so good to see. This was the best game. Swift has had since week one of this season and he's doing it at just the right fucking time like if we needed up him to come up big this was it now can he do it against a better opponent can he do it against the Packers if Swift can play like that they are in big trouble and it was it was just so good to see boys the run game effective once again yeah the offensive line was Near perfect holiday, I'd say. Like I say, run blocking, creating monster holes that Swift was hitting without any hesitation. Like I say, they were getting out through front of him. Sewell, Jonah, that's what they do best. Lead block for both sides of the line. Like I say, them, them two are monsters in the open field holding. Like I say, uh, Dan Skipper, like he, he killed a guy on one player. Like I say, came in in that jumbo package and destroyed a guy like Evan Brown as well, come back from that injury. It's taken a few weeks, I'd say, to settle into right guard. But yeah, clean game, solid, fine. I agree. Like I said, next week, if we get the run game going, we'll win. We can win because we've got the better receiver car. I say, but we've got to establish the run. I say, it's, it's still the kind of go to. This team wants to be a team that runs first. 
and doesn't become a team that just has to pass every down. That's not how we want to play. So, yeah, if, if the run game is getting good at just the right time, then, yeah, I agree that Green Bay and that defensive line, I say, Kenny Clark, guys like that, that are still very stout and good at the middle. But let's try to run the ball on them. Yeah, the, this is an entirely different team you're facing next week. You know, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, these guys on there are, are hella talented. And I think that defence that we kind of thought was going to turn up for the Packers this year and didn't to start with, it, it's starting to turn up now. I mean, I think over the last 10 games, they've had takeaways every game. I think they got like six in the first four. And then after that, they're averaging multiple take takeaways per game. You know, they are turning the ball over a lot and giving it to Aaron Rodgers. And and that's what they need to do. Because that offense ain't great. I ain't worried about that offense. But the defense just keeps giving it opportunities to score points. And that's how they're winning games. You know, if you take away those turnovers from that defense, and then, then they're eminently beatable. But, you know, you, you've got to show me now. And I, I know I harp on about this point every single week, and I know people will be bored of it by now. But again, this game this weekend, you're in prime time against the Green Bay Packers with potential playoff implications on the line. This is why you invest three first-round picks in your offensive line. It's one of your most critical parts of your team, and it is the one that you live and die by. I expect my offensive line to turn up and do the business, even against a good defensive line. This is why you make those picks. And I want to see us run the ball on the Green Bay Packers. I expect Ragnow, Decker, Sewell, Jackson, all these guys, I expect to go out and play like, the, you know, play with the intensity that we use on these picks. Quite frankly, I think our offensive line's better, and there is no excuse for it to not go into Green Bay and perform. You know, that, that is why you invest these picks for me. So I want to see the run game do well. I want to see that this offensive line can hold up when it matters because this is the biggest game. If if the Seahawks lose and we can get in the playoffs with a win, this is the biggest game for this franchise in over half a decade. So you need your elite units to stand up. Otherwise, you have to start questioning it in the long term. So, yeah, I expect to see us do it. Even if the Seahawks win, there's no excuses this weekend. I will not have a flat performance just to see how to win. I want us to play as if we're making the playoffs, even if it's not physically possible. We have got to go into that mindset of that game that whatever happens at half nine is irrelevant. Like I said, when that ball kicks off, there is a 5-1 record in the NFC North, a winning record and ending the Packers season to play for. And that's more than enough. So, yeah, I don't, like I said, there'll be no... Oh well, we came in, let's like, say some guys were a bit flat because the game ended up being, let's like, say, there was nothing on the line for us. Still everything to play for. I don't care, like I said, fucking hate the Packers. I hate Aaron Rodgers, the piss smelling tramp. Like I say, I literally I want Packers tears all over that timeline. Because you know what, right now, I've seen it all day, disrespect. Like I say, just 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 media and Packers players disrespecting. I literally just say it's irrelevant. We're going to win. We've already won. Like I say, they're so fucking cocky. Like I say, it's, it comes from the players, leaks through, like I say, to the timeline and to the fans. Like they've got such a high opinion of themselves and they've already overlooked us. Yeah, 
I want to go in there and I want to slap them across the face. Just to give you guys, so I was researching this while you were talking about it, and DeAndre Swift in particular. It is his first 90-plus overall PFF grade of his career. It is, according to PFF, the best game he has played. And I think that really shows. Like, he was unplayable. And I just, I, I need him to bring that with him to Green Bay. I'm convinced that with him and Jamal playing like this and that offensive line playing like that, that we don't give the pack as much of a chance. If they can do what we did to the Bears, and they are not good on either side of the ball, we can pummel them into submission. Again, I'd asterisk all the grades in this game because we played against the team who gave up halfway. But you know, you can only you can only do what you do in a you can only perform against the team you're up against. But yeah, this is if if DeAndre Swift wants to be here long term, if he wants to show that he's going to be part of a playoff push here, if he wants to show that he's going to be part of a successful future here, then got to turn up in these games. But this is why we drafted you in the second round of a draft. This is why we put a lot of stock in you. This is why we have a lot. Of you know, a lot of fans believe in him heavily for games like this. So no wandering off, no five carries for 12 yards and anything like that. you gotta got to be ready to go to work and put in the effort. But all I would say is I was very critical of him early in the season. I have been more impressed in recent weeks. So, you know, he's going in the right direction. But this has now become a crunch game for a lot of Lions players, especially as playmakers, because we need to see who is going to perform when the lights are really bright. This is a kind of pressure a lot of them will never have experienced before, but they're going to have to get used to it if they want to be on a team that's going in that direction. So it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the team play this one, but I'm with you, Matt. I think that we can go there and beat them. I, I genuinely do. I have not been more confident. Even when we had the teams with all the vets on and we had Stafford, I've not been more confident that a team could go there and win in a long time simply because our team will likely want it more. I know the Packers have got a lot to prove, but I, I think their players are overlooking us. I think that we're going to come up. They're going to think, oh, we're at Lambeau. It's going to be cold. We're automatically going to win. 49ers went there and laid an absolute ass-whooping on them because they look past it. They go, oh, the Cali guys, they're not going to be able to go up there and do it. I think they'll do the same with the Lions. I think they're going to think, oh, well, we just got to turn up and we're going to win. And they're going to get smacked in the face and we're going to run the ball over them. And, you know, I, th I think we're going to do it. I honestly do. Let's go to two up, two down. Ryan, I know you've got a guy you are itching to talk about in the down column, so let's get it over with. Oh, man, Jeff Akuda, man. Benched in back-to-back -back games. Like, his season has really kind of taken a nosedive. This Sunday is the biggest game of his career. Mentally, I've got to know he's checked in. He has got to bounce back. Like say, he played like 13 snaps yesterday. And let's say he got sat and Mike Hughes took his place and he didn't come back in. Because it's hard to know a reason why, like I say. He's never a weak link in a chain. But they they saw something that said, like he ain't at the races today. And Mike came in, like I say, and if he... If, if that's going to happen against, like I say, one of the weakest offences, what's going to happen against arguably a good testing like Christian Watson, like I say, something like that. So 
Jeff, he needs to come back with a vengeance. The last two weeks, he's got to forget them. They've gone. Like I say, he's got to come in and we, we're going to need him. Like I say, we're, we're going to need him against a team that can pass the ball, like I say, and can can move the ball down the field. So, like I say, for his own sake, I just, I, it might have dented his confidence, but I think he's stronger mentally than that than what he's been through the last few years. So, yeah, this is a huge game for him personally. All the down arrow. This this is hard, like I say, to pick anyone else at fault. Like I say, Will Harris, like I say, has his struggles. Like you say, Armani got that silly penalty. So I I can't really give another one. But like I say, if we're going two up, like I say, Swift, yeah, Swift, he came back when we needed him most to, to, to get the confidence and the momentum going. Like I said, people have been crying out for weeks, like give the kid more touches. He's got the touches. He's not done anything, like two or three yards a clip, not following his blocks, not hitting the hole, didn't have that burst. He kind of righted all those wrongs in one week. And yeah, if he's able to carry that into next week and give that same level of performance, like his future here is in no doubt at all. Like you say, it, it, it can just, it can change everything. Like you say, he's the kind of spark that we need make into the post season and then like I say it just the other up like I say I I, I just I just really like Khalifa Raymond like I say I just I just really think that when we get behind the chains or in tough spots like he just forgets forgotten defense is genuinely just show the, the little guy no respect and he just goes under the radar and finds space and comes in really clutch. But yeah, like I said, everyone gets an up this week. So I'm not going to be too critical on it. Like I said, Jeff, it's more, it's a confidence thing. It's not a talent thing. Like I say, he's physical, he's strong, he's got all of it. Like I say, he's just, I think right now he's, he's overthinking things, missing your tackle. And this team is not scared right now to sit a player. Like I say, they will put them in the best position to win. And if Jeff didn't do it and Mike did, that's fine. I get it. Like you say, we can't be we can't be wrapping these guys in cotton wool right now because we're coming down to the the business end of the season. So yeah, not critical, but yeah, I want to see a bounce back. I want to see him come back and say, "I learned." Like you say, you benched me for a reason. I took it on board. Um. So the two ups, I give Chark one for sure. He is so good at this moment in time. The one-handed grab was sensational. An absolutely great play from him. He had the downfield reception as well. He's he's finally worked his way into this offense and he's finally kind of feeling like he's settled down and he's found his place now, which is big for the offense. Because obviously J-Mo's still getting up to speed, so we need the guy who can stretch the field a bit more. You know, it's critical to us. So I'm glad DJ's playing well and hopefully he has another big game this coming week. And then the other one on defense, I, I would give it to Pascal because everyone knows what Hutch is. 
everyone knows Houston used to pass rushing specialist at the moment, but the development of Pascal is probably the most critical of everyone in this box. We know Aiden's going to be a great player. I think we know Houston's going to be a good rotational depth piece, and hopefully it might be more going forward, but you need the guy opposite, and Pascal, because he, he's the run blocker as well as the pass rusher. He's kind of the guy who excels in everything, and, and we need to see a healthy, on-form Josh Pascal, and like I say, his sack changed the game for us, especially on defense. It just created such a momentum turn. It's big plays like that I want to see from him. And he got the second sack later in the game as well. He was just absolutely relentless all day long and part of a D-line push that was that was much needed by us. We we need Pascal to be great for us in, in time, not now, but I was really impressed with him. And again, I think he's another guy. Those are his first NFL sacks. I think he's finding his feet now. And again, it's imperative that we get this depth on the line because then Hutch ain't going to get double-bodied all the time because you're going to have to worry about everybody else as well. So critical for us next year. So yeah, Chark and Hutch up. Uh, Chark and, sorry, um, yeah, you know what I mean, up. And then down, Amani gets it down. I'm just, I'm sorry, but his, his Detroit career has ended without a fight. He he ain't got no dog in him. He has not proven anything. You think after he got benched, a lot of players have been benched and then they've come back and done better and they've sort of taken it on board and they've fought for their place back and for him to come in. And the first meaningful contribution he makes to a game is a special teams penalty. It's just like, it feels like he's not, I, I mean, I guess, you know, all these players will fight really hard. And, that, and I know it sounds harsh, but I just feel like it's not been there with him. And I've, I've kind of lost the patience. And he's old Detroit now. I've got young guys here who want to be here, who are making big plays, who are going to be part of this team going forward. And he just feels like he's already out the door. So I'm sorry, but that's a down. And then the other down, if we do lose this weekend, I'm not saying we will, but if we do when the season's done, then there's one really big positive from it. It's going to be the last game that Will Harris plays in Detroit and it can't come soon enough. Corners, yeah, there's some guys who need to leave and those two are there and I'm just not seeing it from Harris either. Just get Iffy back in there, draft another safety, get another safety from free agency, make all right with the world again, and then we'll be fine. But them two, they're downs for sure. Oh, I've got me over down. Austin Bryan. He didn't play, but how perfect would this have been a game for him? But he didn't show enough healthy scratch, didn't show enough to be active. He's played his final game in Detroit as well. He is good as gone. Like I said, he, he could have flourished in this game. I think he could have dominated, but didn't do enough to be active. Not carrying an injury, no one's told about. Just just, just wasn't in their plans. And against an offensive line like that, if you're not in their plans as a defensive rotation, like you ain't in our plans long stop anymore. So peace out, Austin. Go find Deshaun Hamd at a bar somewhere and recollect. So my two up, Brock Wright has got to be one. I know he got the two touchdowns, but it ain't just about that. The guy has been taking about 40% of snaps most of the year. So you, you know, average between 55 and 70 plays on offense normally. And he's been doing about 30 of those, 25 of those or so with Zilstra and um, Hawkinson when he was here and Mitchell. He's been splitting time. Yesterday... 
Brock Wright had 46 snaps, which shows the increased trust they have in him. And this is coming off the back of a three-touchdown performance by Shane Zolstra in the previous game. And you have a look at what Brock Wright did. He was utterly dominant in the run-blocking game, in the pass-catching game. He ran his routes with precision. He sold his blocks and then released to the flat. He caught the ball well, and he ran hard when he got there. You cannot ask for more from the tight end position. I saw in the chat earlier someone say, I am comfortable where the tight end room is for next year, and I don't really want us to invest there. I don't necessarily wholly buy into that. I think that we could upgrade there, and I'd be comfortable with it. But if we ran with this next year, I don't hate it. Like They, they do enough that I'm comfortable where we are, and I think they'll do the production that we need from that position. So, Brock Wright, well done. You're playing yourself into a good deal for the next few years. On defense, my guy's going to be Malafonwu. Just after the week he had the previous year, uh, previous week, to come in and have the game he had. He only had 26 snaps, but he came in. It was a force, couple of pass breakups, physical just, you know, the sort of guy that we hope we'd have when he transitions into the position. And actually, the majority of the good snaps he had were actually at cornerback. Get him back there, like Ant says. Get him at cornerback. That's where we need him. If Akuda ain't up to it, that's fine. Get him back in there. Flyod Condor made the point in Twitch just a moment ago, saying, Jeff just hasn't been the same player since his illness. It makes me wonder whether he has a lingering thing like RSV. He's been a shell physically even since coming back. And that might be it. And it's something I tried to talk about when he did come back. Is It's like, when you get the flu, even if you're starting to feel a bit better, sometimes you're just a bit wiped out and you're not quite there. And my fear is that Akuda, it's not about him playing badly because he's at 100% and he's just not all there. I'm wondering whether he is all there yet. And he's, he's just about right enough to be playing, but he's not quite right enough to play well. So... Worried about him, um, but otherwise for down players, I'm I am not giving anyone a down. No one deserves it really. Who played in this game? I, the the, the team overall just played so well that I don't have anyone. I don't even Akuda. Like I thought we had the odd good play here and there to come up with his also bad plays. I mean, you have a look at the PFF grade for him, and it's above six. No, it's sixty one point six. Like, he got benched through poor performance. But when he came back in, he had the odd good play too. Now, it's PFF. Fine. Whatever. But it's a measure of me just saying I think he was mediocre and not awful. So, no one down. Great performance. Well done, lads. On to week 18. You are finishing the NFL regular season. The Detroit Lions started it with hard knocks. And they are finishing it on Sunday Night Football. And... There can be no bigger compliment to this team. I wonder when we last played on Sunday Night Football. It's got to be a chuffing long time. It'll probably be against the Packers. It'll be against the Packers, probably. We we only... In fact, I reckon our last three or four Sunday Night games have probably been against the Packers. I mean, yeah. If the refs screw us this week, I swear to God. <laughs> it's gonna be Grandizer, you want your Ryan's ranch, you'll get Ryan's, Anthony's, Matt's, Steve's, other Ryan's. You'll get you'll get all the ranch you want. We'll probably just have a show dedicated to slagging off referees. So if they fuck around with us again. 
The last appearance by the Lions on Sunday Night Football was Sunday, September 23rd, 2018. New England Don't Patriots 10, me. Detroit Lions 26. Oh. Remember that game. So. Four years. So. Lions, Lions defeat the Patriots for the first time since 2000. In oh, yeah, game. we battered them. Oh, so we, we've defeated an old veteran quarterback and an overhyped football team. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Sounds um, familiar. We did have a question come in, and it's briefly about the Packers, but I'm going to entertain it. Despite our preview show on Thursday, SW Lion says, fellas, which defense will show up against the Packers? Hopefully the one we saw yesterday against the Packers and against the Packers at Ford Field. It's been a bit Jekyll and Hyde, this defense. The first seven weeks and last week against the Panthers, the defense was woeful. Every other game, they've been legit. You know, so seven out of the last eight weeks, this defense has been good. But it's away in a hostile environment with everything on the line. Who turns up for Detroit? If the bad if the bad defense turns up, then set your over under line at about ninety five. That that would be my that would be my prediction. Um, I don't. Their wide receiver cause rubbish. Like the Bears. They're based around their running game. So if you can stop it like you did with the Bears, then I think you've got a chance of keeping it there. I, I, history says that they'll turn up and we won't because we've not been in these high-pressure games before. But I just I don't know. I think this team's going to go out there and leave every single physical thing it has on the pitch. I think the good defense will turn up, but they'll find a way to scab some points against us. I think it what's going to be the coldest Lions game of the season, so they're going to have to prepare for the cold. I think everyone turns up. The player I don't trust is Michael Badgley. I, this is not a week for a game-winning kick. Uh, and say Crosby, he's an old geriatric git, but yeah, this this feels like one of those games where Special teams and kicking is going to be the deciding factor. I think we can slow down the offense. Like I said, I genuinely think the defense turns up and starts well. Like I said, they take the ball away. We don't give the ball away. If we can carry those on and neutralize each other, yeah. This oh this 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 feels like one of those like frosty kick games. And that that's what worries me the most. Like I said, I think we can match them everywhere else across the field. I, I agree with most of that, Ryan. All I would say is, you know, the game on Sunday will be the second coldest day of the Lions season. You know, second only to today because hell froze over today because Matthew Turner has not stuck a knife into Scott Daly today, which is incredible. So I think this is the coldest day of the year, all told. He did have one bad snap. I did actually, I mentioned that on the live stream. I did mention it on the live stream, but I wasn't going to hammer him. I wasn't going to. It was a good day. He he made all seven kicks, um, Badgley, and you can't do that without the holder having a good day too. So I can't can't hate it. Um, Lovely, lovely little message from Grandizer earlier who said about Rural Alliance UK, 1% swearing, which I think is pretty low, 0% nudity, 4% sugar, 95% talent. And my reply is, if the Lions make the postseason, 
Nudity. And that nudity will go <laughs> very far up. Oh, man. The OnlyFans <laughs> account becomes active, is all I'm saying. Uh, I think I'll give you a bit of shoulder right now. There you go. Mm. A bit of shoulder. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> I love just it. W- just went up to one per- uh, 0.5% nudity. Detroit versus everybody says if the Lions make the playoffs, then the podcast hosts should shave their heads. <laughs> it ain't happening. I agree. It I agree. Ain't... I agree. Yes. Yes. I don't like the body draw. I already said I get a tie, and I have drawn it. Oh, Ryan! Oh I my God! Oh, <laughs> you should I get a tattoo. Yeah. I think you should get a tattoo of a bald head. That's what you should do. No. Okay. So, Ryan, what's the tattoo? Uh, I'll, I'll just go get it. Right. No, <laughs> ladies ladies and gentlemen, we live in a democracy. If you want to see Matt and Ryan shave their heads if we're getting the playoffs, put it in the comments. If more of you say yes, then it's a democracy and we have to abide by the rules. Them's the rules. We love our fans and we will do what they ask of us. Yes, if anyone don't know, at three and seven, I tweeted that if the Lions made the playoffs, then I'd get a Dan Campbell tattoo. So... Let's see if you can see it. Oh, I want to see you get like a full sleeve. Oh, no. oh. It's a coffee cup. And it's got Dan's name on it. Right, so... <laughs> Great, and no kneecaps included. So right, right, so I'm sorry, guys, but Miss Harley Quinn goes, yes. Grandizer, yeah, baby. Lions Gangster, yes. Joseph, Dems the rules. I mean, with democracy here, fellas, you all got to get bold. You all got to get bold. You all got to get you're going to get bald if we get in the playoffs. I'd do it if we won the Super Bowl. I'm not doing it just to make the playoffs. I'd get <laughs> naked for the pod. I wouldn't shave my head. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm at. You know what? You, you know what? It's, it's funny that someone's put up on Twitter that picture of Dengel in a man in a in a. Oh God, what is it? What they yeah, call yeah, them? yeah, yeah, mankini. mankini. I actually have one, so <laughs> I've got two. I've got two mankinis. Oh man, I love it! I love I it. I need so to bulk much. up a bit before I dare wear one, but you know, if we win a Super Bowl, the mankini can go on. I love it so much. Um, just to answer the question from SW Lion on the the Lions defense and what shows oh, up. So, so the, the the question was which defense shows up against the Packers, and for me, it's not a question that can be answered with any logic whatsoever. There have been games where <laughs> what. Don't even, don't someone, even say someone, it. Don't even someone. say it. I've read it. I've read it. I don't need to hear it. I don't need to hear it. Matt is bald. Um, that's a toupee. Yeah. <laughs> I um, love that. <laughs> so, anyone who thinks that they know the answer to that question is a liar and a fraud. At the end of the day, every time the Lions have smelt like they're going to do something this year, the defense has folded. But that's been once or twice in the past nine weeks and is it that the pressure gets to them or is it just that they come up against teams that just make them do things they don't want to do the Packers aren't that team this year the Packers offense is bad like you have a look at Rodgers in the most recent game they had 21 points but they only had 80 yards of total offense like that defense did good things uh, the weekend's and that Come defense on, ain't good. But you should know better. Fate's going to get involved in this one as well. This is the Packers who they love to 
it's the Packers who they love to stand. And we get a house to face call. And it's at Lambeau. It's for the playoff. Think of this. We are going to see notebook these cringeworthy montages all week. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest of all time. They're in the play. It's going to be sickening. And fate is going to have a part to play in this year. No matter how bad they are, like the, the forces in the universe will conspire to give them the best chance possible to win this game. Yeah. I just know I, it. I, I guarantee there'll be a hands to the face call, and I think the Lions will still win this game. Just going to go to the Twitch chat for a few comments on the hair situation. Big Aries has a better suggestion. Everyone grows a mullet. Um, Fly Our Condor says, Shave for the I win. Big a mullet. Big I can't say that's offensive, that is, to those of us who can't grow hair. <laughs> if I grow mullet, I'd look like Grayson McCall or like Sam Hartman. I'd look badass. I'd need to get a wig. Look at my hairline. I'd need to get a wig. And no one wants to see me in a wig, so you know we're not doing that. I, I'm, I'm not, I guys, dress up enough for this podcast. I, I heard apparently that we're in a democracy, so if anyone wants to see Anthony Fitzpatrick wear a wig, oh well, well, no, show, no, no, no. You've got to let us know. Um, you, you've got to had... live by your decision first. You've got, you got, you go bald. I'll wear a wig. No, there you go. Uh, Big Aries also says full body wax for all for the win. That would be incredibly painful for me. <laughs> I'm very hairy. Oh, I love it. But the only um, part of me that's not hairy is my bald head. Too much information. Um, fellas, it's been a good one. Anything you want to bring up before we before we call it here? I just I want to say how... Baker Mayfield is playing to save his career. Oh yeah. I think I think I think he's gonna have a renaissance this Sunday. I think yeah. LA Rams, you owe us. That's all I'm gonna say. You owe us for your success last year. So you best damn well go out and kick their ass next week. Because if not, we're gonna have issues. I mean you'll give us a nice big fat draft pick if you don't, but still, it's yeah, and screw the Bears, fuck the Packers, stuff like that. Yeah. Kool Aid Kid says we need Anthony in a Ric Flair wig. I'm here for it. I'm here Woo! for it. Woo! Um, Freestyling, high flying. If you're in the YouTube or Twitch chats, hang right there as we sign off on the audio show. Thursday, January 5th is our next podcast on the main podcast, Green Bay Preview Show. Ant and Ryan will be back for the College Football Podcast, previewing the National Championship Finals, as well as having a look back at the best semi-final series in Natty history. Oh, what? Did I just see that notification right? Tulane have just beaten USC on the last play of game. That's in my pick watch. I was just up for 500 again. Yeah, Tulane have dropped 46 on USC. Yikes. Um, right. You can hear more about that on the College Football Podcast. Otherwise, do follow us on our socials, Rural the Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the group on Facebook for worldwide fans is Detroit Lions Fans UK One Pride Worldwide. The website with Ash's preview articles and the last one, maybe, of the year is coming up this week on rotluk.com. There will be good draft content draft content on that as well so do subscribe to our mailing list and don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel and the twitch channel rate us five stars give us some feedback on that feedback form we'd love to hear from you 
otherwise just remains for me to thank my co-hosts to Ant and Ryan. Fellas, week 18 is fucking relevant and it's against the Packers and we're going to stomp them. Let's go Lions, one pride. One pride. One pride. One pride.